This is Mike McNamara, and you're listening to All Marine Radio on your home for it, the one and only All Warrior Radio Network. edition of All Marine Radio here on your home for it. The All Warrior Radio Network. A big day on the program. Well, I don't know if it's big or not. You can be the judge of that as always, but uh, the Mensa Brothers joined me. We just got done recording that. And I'll play that after Grant Newsham joins us. So that's a pretty big day, right? And I've been up since about 3 o'clock in the morning. Yeah. And so I wake up, and then somebody texts me at 3 in the morning. I'm like, what the hell? So then, then I have a conversation. It totally wakes me up, so I have to get my ass out of bed to come do this. But uh, but I went to bed early. I was tired. I'm doing a lot of farm work here on uh, at my house. It's actually gardening. I call it farm work, though. Because I used to when I did my show in North Dakota, I used to say, I used to say that I had farming in my blood. And they were like, "What are you talking about?" Because a lot of the people that would listen would be farmers, and they liked me. They thought it was fun. Unless they disagreed with me, then they'd tell me they'd be in their tractors yelling at me. Like, it doesn't really matter, because I can't hear you. Do you know that? They'd start laughing. Yeah, I know that. And so, um, so yeah, I've been doing farm work lately. Um, yeah, my backyard. I, like, turned two on that son of a bitch on Sunday. We did the shit out of it. And then, uh, and they did some planting yesterday. So we'll, we'll we'll see if it works. It looks really nice now, but normally what happens to me is are the plants die. At least some of them do anyway. But I I used a lot of Miracle Grow. I don't I don't know if that stuff's any good, but I'm gonna find out. So anyway, so good morning on this fifteenth uh, day of March. And as I said, Grant Newsom's going to join me here in a few minutes. And uh, and then after that, uh, the Mensa Brothers. So if you want to be entertained today at work, you've come to the right place. And, and what I really want to talk about is, um, you know, you, you hear on, on in the news on a nightly basis, um, you hear people talking about no fly zones and talk about, you know, supplying Ukraine with, you know, F-16, not F-16s, but the, the, 
what the MiG-29 or something, MiG-22 that the Poles had in exchange for, you know, we would backfill that with F-16s to the Poles or something like that. So you hear this discussion and then you hear, you know, the, the discussion of Vladimir Putin has nuclear weapons and you have to respect that. So what do you, um, what do you, what's a, a responsible analysis of that equation, right? Is it simply ignore it because we have nuclear weapons too? And that, so over, over Ukraine, which, right, we have said repeatedly, America does not have national interest in Ukraine. Our interest is, you know, they're a free nation and they're a former satellite of Russia. They're a non-member state of NATO. We would love to help them to the greatest extent we could. But in terms of this crisis, right, it does not involve American interest. Now, that's rough, man. It's called real politic. What is in your nation's interest? Okay. And, you know, we got involved in Somalia because of the, um, we got involved in Somalia because of the videotape that kept coming back that was so compelling. And President Bush sent America's military to Somalia. Right? The, the video coming out of Ukraine is, is way, way worse. But what are the implications? for a confrontation between the United States and Russia. And now there's some that would dismiss them and say, well, because of our mutually assured destruction and our nukes are better than theirs, that he will never do that. As a policymaker, is that a prudent, is that a prudent argument? Because what if he does decide to smoke a city of a couple hundred thousand people as an example to everybody? that I'm not fucking around. So is the juice worth the squeeze, I guess, as a policy maker? So again, that's what I want to talk to the Mensa brothers, and I will ask Grant about that as well. So, uh, good morning to you. The United States Marine Corps Band makes this morning official on this 15th day of March. Good morning.
And this is dedicated, as I have for the past couple weeks, um, to the courageous Ukrainian military that has essentially fought the Russian military to a stalemate. And uh, nobody uh, saw that coming. And the courage it takes to walk into that um, against those overwhelming odds uh, is, uh, is amazing. The other pe- group of people that this is dedicated to is three world leaders um, are headed for uh, Kiev today. And um, the Czech prime minister says uh, that he's going to Kiev today to meet with Zelensky, along with the Polish uh, prime minister and the prime minister of Slovenia. And I'll tell you, that takes a little bit of courage, physical courage. So uh, this, and I would throw them into this dedication as well, right? Um, They're well aware of the history of Europe uh, during the Second World War and leaders of nations standing by and not doing what they could do. And again, they they walk a very fine line between being NATO members and a relationship with non-NATO, a non-NATO state, which is Ukraine. So this is dedicated to all of them. betraying your whole life if you don't say what you think and you don't say honestly and bluntly what keeps you awake at night nothing i keep other people awake at night for this campus had prepared him well i'm very confident that thank you very much if this was vodka it'd be a lot better speech But I'm not supposed to glamorize alcohol anymore. So, young folks, you ignore what I just said. We just have to execute. And we are executing every day. And so our major and I are very proud of what you do. Doesn't mean we can't get better. We don't, we don't want to make a mistake to learn. We don't want to lose to learn. We cannot lose if we have to go fight. We got to do what these Marines did here 75 years ago. Persevere against difficult challenging conditions and odds to win. You gotta win. 
All right, time for us to check the weather. Currently in Quantico, it is partly sunny and 56. At Marine Corps Base Cherry Point, home of the 2nd Marine Air Wing, it is sunny and 65, so it's going to be a nice day in North Carolina. On 29 Palms, it is sunny and 55. Camp Pendleton, fog and 53. Camp Smith and Hawaii, dark, cloudy and 66. Okinawa, clear, dark and 66. In Darwin, that's on the northern coast of Australia. It is dark, cloudy, and 80. And in Kiev, that would be in the... Uh, or it's now pronounced Kiev. In Kiev, Ukraine, it is partly cloudy and 48 degrees right now. Looking for a high today of 51 and a low overnight of 23. So not bad weather uh, all in all. So that is a... That is a look at your weather. And uh, so let me get Grant Newsham on the line right here. And um, we'll see what Grant has to say about all of this. So uh, give me one second to tee a little Skype thing up. And you will hear through the wonders of technology, Grant Newsham from uh, Taipei. Yeah, that would be in Taiwan for all you geographically challenged people. Yep. Hi there, Grant here. Grant, you're on live, so don't start with your normal regalia of your nightlife activity, so be very careful yeah. about that. Okay, yeah, I'm a dancing fool, that's for Ex sure. Well, a fool, no doubt. Dancing comes and goes. <laughs> what, uh, I didn't really mean to, but I, you teed it up for me. I could hardly uh, resist it. Um, talk to me. Um, I, I have a question for you before we talk about, well, let me, let's talk about China here in the last few days. China... Um, is now becoming more and more into view on the side of the Russians as enabling their economic economy. And now, uh, at least by accused of the United States of, of military aid as well. Um, what do you make of, of, of how this is proceeding vis-a-vis -vis China or how the Russia-Ukraine war is proceeding vis-a-vis -vis China's role and perception by the world? Well, I think that uh, China's gotten sort of surprised a bit. I think they, they were all in with the Russians. Uh, you just have to look at the steps that they took with the Russians months before the invasion to try and sanctions proof uh, Russia in particular, but also China to a degree in the event of something like Ukraine. And then she and Putin had that meeting before the Olympics. And you know, one should read the text of what was uh, released and it tells you everything you need to know. It basically said full support for Russia in whatever they do. And there's a vice versa to that in there also. And then once it happened, uh, I think the Russians were expecting it to finish in about three or four days. The Chinese were too. And once it was done, it would be, um, you see the West would complain, the Americans would complain a little bit. They might put on some sanctions, but no big deal. All they would do is complain and it would be done. 
And China saw that as a sort of a test run for Taiwan in some respects, uh, but it didn't work out that way. So at that point, China had to suddenly, they didn't backpedal, they simply, uh, like one of those reptiles that changes its skin color, uh, they just very quickly changed uh, to make it look like they were really uh, surprised and horrified by what had happened in Ukraine. And they wanted both parties to work things out and they offered now offered to mediate, et cetera, et cetera. But this is entirely mendacious. Mendacious means like it's a, a lie. And they're making it look like they want the war to end, like they don't support Russia, when in actual fact, they are completely on board with the Russians and giving them all the support that they need. Uh, but will Russia, will China get away with this? Uh, that's the question. I have a feeling they've got a pretty good chance that the well, the administration, but even more the our elite classes, like we've talked about before, they have so much money invested in China. They get so much money from China. Many of them have staked their entire professional careers on being wrong about China, and they're not going to admit otherwise. So I think China will wriggle off the hook. Uh, will not be held to account for what it is doing, uh, what it has done, what it is doing uh, for the Russians, uh, for its support for what the Russians have done in Ukraine. It will, I don't think China will be held to account diplomatically, politically, economically, reputationally even uh, with the wrong, well, with too many people. There are others who uh, kind of have woken up. Uh, but as I say, just give it some time. I think they'll probably wriggle off like they did with covid that's pretty okay so <clears throat> let me tell you what i think is important in all of this right we're, we're watching and, and uh, obviously i want your comments about it um we're watching this discussion in 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 the american media that deals with um that deals with nuclear policy right and uh, how close does Russia does NATO come to a line of supplying weapons, right? When if this thing flips over on Vladimir Putin, right, uh, he may or may not survive that as a human being, right? I would say certainly would not survive it as the leader of Russia. So there is incredible incentive for him to be quote unquote all all in on this, right? Um, and he wields the power of the state. Um, in the calculus, by your analysis, uh, not your analysis, but your Y O U R. Okay, I don't want to. I don't want to get <laughs> off the rails here. Um, in your analysis, Grant, it, it, a, a responsible administration, and I don't want to talk about this one per se. How do you how do you calculate? nuclear weapons and i've seen everything from you know lindsey graham every time i see him you know on tv he's espousing you know extremely aggressive almost like these nuclear weapons do not exist actions for the united states so you see this spectrum of hey we need to stay out and not be involved to this we need to do that he's more afraid of us than we are of them in your mind what is responsible real politic vis-a-vis you know russia's you know arsenal of nuclear weapons that range from everything from small 
you know, artillery fired, artillery born munitions to, you know, gigantic nuclear weapons that will, you know, destroy entire large cities. Um, where does that calculus sit in your mind? I'm glad I don't have to make the decision. Uh, it's a tough one. Uh, of course, that states the obvious. But I think in this case, where the way I would look at it is that you've got to be willing to take some risk. And if you don't, the other side is always going to have the advantage and can get you to just back down from everything. All they have to do is raise that threat of, you know, I'm so crazy, I might just might use a nuclear weapon. And you will back down from everything and you will ultimately lose whatever your, you know, your, your principal objective is, say in this case, uh, pushing back Russian aggression, defending you know, the idea of state sovereignty and freedom, and, and also simply uh, sort of doing something for the idea that we don't murder women and children, and certainly not on public view uh, in the, the 21st century. I think everyone knows we probably do, but we, it's not something we should accept. It's something I think we should make a big issue of, and I haven't heard much mention of, of that angle. But to do that, you have to make the other side think that he's going to lose everything too. And he has to take you seriously. But if he knows that you're always going to back down, uh, that you've gotten yourselves into a, in a position you, you will you ultimately lose, it's just a question of how fast. Uh, to do this, I think with the, the Russians, uh, I think that you've got to go after the Chinese as well. Uh, I think that's that without the Chinese, the Russians wouldn't last as long as they otherwise could. So I think that really the Chinese have to feel like they are going to suffer uh, some real penalties here for what they're doing with Ukraine. And I don't think they do uh, to this point. Uh, but the, it's, you know, with the, the nuclear weapon thing, it's, you know, if you, almost if you're not willing to use them if necessary, and make it and make the other guy think that you will, that it's not all that effective. As I said, the other guy has the advantage. Okay, um, so so let me walk yeah. you through the nuance of this, right? Non-member NATO state, right? America does not have strategic interest, right, in Ukraine. As you said, great sympathy for what's happening to the Ukrainian people. So in this world of national interest, real politic, and then the emotions that got us sent to Somalia because there was this horrendous, you know, catastrophe going on there, right? And President Bush sent the American military there to deal with it. Um, where does this shake out? But now we're talking about nuclear weapons. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, we're talking and, and, about and, it. And again, yeah, I, yeah. I, I want to I <laughs> illustrate, you said it <laughs> at the start, I'm glad I'm not making this decision, right? Yeah, I would, you know, would like to think that, you know, I would at least appear like somewhat coherent and with a little bit of backbone, uh, unlike, well, you can guess who I'm talking about, a bunch of them. Uh, but it's a tough decision. It always is. But it isn't as if it had, came about yesterday. You know, this has been in the works for 20 plus years when... Putin came on the scene and when and the way the, the Americans and the West dealt with Russia after the Soviet era. But that's uh, that's just context uh, with this. I would actually say I that I think Ukraine does have strategic interest for us. 
that, you know, as we've talked about, the idea that an independent nation in Europe, a big one, can just be attacked and overrun like the Mongolians used to do. That, that, you know, this and the people that do it kind of get away with it as we just sit back with eyes primly averted. Uh, and I think that if we don't get this right, I really do, I've come to think that if it looks like Putin gets Ukraine, even if it's a smoking, same thing of smoking rubble with 10 million refugees, uh, that I think if that happens, I think we had better get greased up for Taiwan because that is a sure thing, I think, if if that happens in Ukraine. So I would suggest that is a that it, there is more of a strategic interest for us uh, in Ukraine. Um, you know, one thing to, to keep in mind, you know, I've you know, thinking about it and you know, hearing other people talk about it, when you look at the kind of support we give Ukraine, that that is a that's a tough one, uh, to an extent. But keep you know, remember the Vietnam War when the you know the North Vietnamese um, you know had a pretty good air force that stayed in being the whole time, and it wasn't as if they were building aircraft uh, in. Um, in North Vietnam, they were getting it from the Russians, getting all sorts of aid from the Russians, particularly their anti-air their defense system. You had Russians actually flying some of the planes, operating the air defense systems. I think we lost something like 83 planes, uh, you know, over North Vietnam, uh, you know, with the Russians had a hand in it. Uh, that, so that you can, it's kind of surprise, you can get quite a ways with conventional uh, weapons that are even if they're used against a nuclear armed nation that like we were uh, you, so you can get away with uh, a lot of this um, so you know I don't you know, I, I think that uh, I'm not so quick to you know, sound the alarm when we're talking about giving uh, types of aid to the to Ukraine um, on the grounds that well the Russians won't like it well of course they don't like it the receiving side never does but we've been on the receiving end of this. Uh, a lot more than once uh, over the years and in recent times. So that would be just a couple ideas uh, about this. That, that I say I do think Ukraine is uh, of a lot more importance than one might imagine. As I say, if we don't get this uh, right, and I don't think there's any way of getting it right now, but it, if we don't, uh, if the Russians are seen to have gotten away with it, uh, and relatively unscathed, or with nothing they can't handle, that I think we will we will see something like it coming our way in Asia uh, sooner rather than later. So, with that, what would you would you get the uh, what are they SU twenty fours SU twenty fives? Would you make sure that that those got to the Ukrainians? Would you facilitate that? Is that a, is that a, a, a quote unquote red line that you would you know you take your foot and quickly wipe away and say hey look uh, sales of everything short of um, nuclear weapons are simply military hardware sales get it there yesterday would you do that? Oh, I don't follow it. I don't know. You know, I with the you're an the ex okay. You're an uh -huh. expert. As an expert, you can't say I don't know. Do you not understand the rules of? expert appearances in podcasting? Well, when I'm doing it for free. Like, <laughs> <laughs> so you're not paying me enough, but it's that way. <laughs> they, uh, uh, yeah, you know, plus, I don't feel like, yeah, but no, what I would, you know, with that, uh, the, the fighter 
transfer issue. That, uh, yeah, my goodness, that was handled poorly. You had the Secretary of State say green light. You have the polls stick their necks out and say, how about it, Americans? And then the you have the, the Pentagon's press spokesman you know, basically kick the Secretary of State and the polls, you know, back and, you know, tell them, no, that's, uh, what, untenable? Untenable. So, so this was handled so just, it just made us look like idiots. And that, you know, the fighter thing, uh, you know, that it, you know, it, some people support it, some don't. I would, I, what I would do, I said, well, how about instead of the fighters, if we, um, you know, give you all, give you a, a nice drone setup that allows you to go after, you know, all the Russian armor, all the two, all the artillery. How about if we, um, you know, turn it over to you, turnkey? And the Ukrainians are smart. You know, they've all, of course, many of the computer hackers have been uh, Ukrainians. There's plenty of. You know, there's no shortage of smart people there but i would probably give them some i would maybe have leaned it somewhere along those lines um you know maybe uh you know i don't know the details of how effectively you can apply uh, the fighters if you got them you know could you have gone down that 40 mile convoy and cleaned it up and i just don't know i think that's probably one more why i have the the concerns uh, or why that i'm not saying yes or no is because i don't know how Easily, easy, easily, or effectively, the Ukrainians could have operated them. But the there's other things. I say I really am impressed with the uh, what the UAVs can uh, can do, and I might be inclined to sort of have a lot of those things showing up and just working over the Russians. Uh, that you know, hey, I think I'd be inclined to that. You know what I don't understand about the the SU twenty whatever the hell they were. Um, is that if we were serious about it, why were we talking about it in public? I don't know. I, I mean, why, that, why is the secretary, if, 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 I mean, because to me, those things that are serious that we don't really want to break squelch and we don't really want the world to know, right? And, and you know, and we can say that, yeah, the polls did that uh, and we, we will advise them not to do it again. But all their SU-20Xs are already over there. So too bad, so sad. You know, and that's the way you posture in public. But I, I just, I don't understand the whole kabuki dance we did around that in, in public. Because this is a, a, obviously a delicate game that you, that, that you play. But as you rightly pointed out, Russian quote-unquote technicians, right, manning anti-aircraft weapons in North Vietnam. Russian pilots flying missions there, right? That's just a fact, okay? And yet, uh, so... The question is, you know, with another nuclear power, and again, this is not a war in a different part of the world. This is a war in which they are actively engaged in, right, tangent, tangential to their own border. Um, and so uh, there are things that, that are different. And uh, so, again, I, I didn't understand if we were serious about it, why the hell we're talking about it in public. That, that made no sense to me. Uh, yeah, it... it you just shake your head, you know, about how that could possibly ha happen. But the adults are back in charge, so I guess, uh, I guess it's okay. Uh, it, it, presumably, we are keeping some secrets, and there are things that are being done that aren't getting publicized. Uh, so, and that's one of the reasons I'm a little hesitant to say right. we should do this or that, because I think we are doing 
probably a lot of things that, that don't get talked about. And that's always the case. But uh, um, at a certain level on certain areas, like the, the fighter transfer, it's just, it, it looks like, I don't know, like morons are running it. You know, some things you just don't talk about, and this ought to be one of them. And so, say, it's, uh, you do wonder, you know, can't we keep anything secret? Uh, you know, if we, if we're handing over intelligence to the Chinese. That one does wonder if we even think that keeping things secret is uh, is important. I remember when it used to be. The um, the other thing I'll ask you is this this economic thing that's being done to Russia, which is really unprecedented. I've never seen anything like it um, to the extent that uh, businesses have have unilaterally joined into it and isolated Russia economically. And so now what you're seeing is stories come out on a daily basis. And those stories uh, chronicle Russia's attempts to circumnavigate the sanctions and, and, and what, in fact, they will do um, uh, to get around it. Um, so my question to you is this. <clears throat> the destruction or thereabouts of the Russian economy. Is that a really, really important thing vis-a-vis -vis the Chinese? Because, because the, the example I would think that we would want to send is, look, you know, we understand you have nuclear weapons too, but we will wreck you as a nation, all right? And all you have to do is look at the way Russia, you know, it got about a third of the Ukrainian real estate that they were looking for, and it wrecked their entire economy. So, we will do the same thing for you. Now, we all know that, you know, China is not Russia, much more, you know, interwoven into the American, um, into the American uh, economy than we would even care to admit. Um, is what we do against them economically, uh, Russia, is it, is it hugely important? Or especially vis-a-vis -vis the Chinese watching in terms of, this is the price you will certainly pay. I think it's probably becoming less important than I thought it would be a couple of weeks ago. Uh, the Russians are, you know, they're, they're kind of used to a tough life anyway. And, you know, they're, it, yes, this is causing them trouble. But, you know, when you used to read about, remember the effects after the collapse of the Soviet Union, uh, the economic effects then, and, you know, like old people simply losing all their money overnight. And, you know, you had you know, military officers begging on the street. It was really a catastrophe, which never got the attention it deserved. Well, it did get attention, but I don't think we quite, uh, I don't know, could, it didn't really resonate all that much. It was unfortunate, but it's Russians. But the, so I'm not so sure that what they're going through now is, that much of a hardship compared to what they've gone through in recent times. And it, and as you note, there's sort of workarounds. There's ways you can kind of keep enough money and stuff coming in that the things, you know, life kind of goes on. And from a Chinese perspective, I think they kind of like what they see. Uh, they are being, they're able to help the Russians quietly and but make no mistake, it's that the Chinese support is, is all over the place, uh, particularly on the financial end, uh, the economic end. And the, the, it's making the Russians more dependent on the Chinese. Uh, 
which is good. The Chinese like to see that. So from maybe their perspective, they see, you know, the, the West did all these things to Russia, but Russia's still kind of there. And it, you know, it's not like people are starving in the streets. Uh, and it isn't as if Putin has been overthrown because people can't get to the ATMs and withdraw dollars. Uh, that they've sort of tightened their belts, and it looks like it looks like for now that they're kind of they're muddling through. But the real ace in the hole, from I think from the Chinese perspective, is I would say it's their lobbyists in Washington. Uh, that they have got just a regiments of you know, immensely well-paid lobbyists who have a lot of influence on Capitol Hill uh, to support China or Chinese business interests, which is China. And these guys still, they will wield all sorts of power. And I think when the time comes, if there is a move to put these sorts of crushing economic sanctions on China, which would make, would be a big deal to the Chinese, and I think they're going to have, they're going to find plenty, for want of a better word, and speaking generically, they're going to find plenty of white men to do their bidding. Uh, and just like they always have, and they will throw every obstacle in the way of an administration, of Congress, uh, of in, and the American public, if an effort is made to crack down effectively on China's ec economy and its financial, its finances. Uh, as well. So I'm getting just a feeling that it, that maybe the, the Chinese are kind of liking, you know, seeing that, uh, you know, maybe they can handle what, what would come of, uh, say, an invasion of Taiwan, the response to that. You know, maybe they can, can absorb it. You know, it seems like if the Russians can, certainly the, the Chinese can. That's how they would look at it. Um, and Maybe it isn't just politically political suicide to start a war against the civilized world. Uh, that so maybe the the Chinese are say are doing their calculations and they they're seeing that they haven't seen anything they can't handle yet, and that at the end of the day they're going to be in a better position with uh, towards the Russians than they were uh, to start with. So just that's just it's um, kind of how I would see things at the moment. Um, yes, it's my thinking it's changed a little bit in the last, you know, I don't know, couple weeks or so, but that's not unusual. Is there anything about um, this this conflict and then the way that uh, the Pacific Rim looks at it that's changed for you in the last few days? Uh, the, the the Japanese, it's you know, funny. I've, we've talked about it a little bit, but right. they um, are kind of waking up. I think more than they ever have. You know, they, there's been some sort of stirrings and, you know, even an eye or a couple eyes opening over Taiwan in recent times. You know, they, you finally hear the expression that Taiwan's defense is Japan's defense. And you're hearing more of that. It's kind of taken as a given. But now Ukraine has, I think that has sort of um, jarred even sort of uh, Japanese leaders who were kind of on the leftist end of things, not insane left, but they you know, were, um, you know, you, you would consider them sort of opposed to the military stuff. They saw Japan as pacifists and therefore uh, would only do the bare minimum defense-wise while expecting the Americans to exterminate anyone who threatens Japan, of course, which is some kind of pacifism. Uh, but even that you're starting to see sort of a stirring there where the, the Ukraine business has really got them 
uh, worried. And I think that's one thing that I have noticed. And, and even, you know, Taiwan, you've, uh, Ukraine seems to have gotten some attention as well. Uh, and the one funny thing is the, uh, it's gotten so much attention that they've recently announced a, you know, they have a sort of periodic reserve call up and instead of it being seven days, they're going to make it 14 days. And they call this the hardest, the toughest ever. But you know, if it's if you're doing nothing for seven days, you know, doing nothing for fourteen is, um, you know, not daunting. That much more, yeah. So they've got some other things to fix defense-wise, but there's it. It is you know, Hong Kong had already woken them up. Taiwan is just another smack on the face uh, that I think it if played right, this could have some it you know it could have some positive effects um, from. Uh, my perspective, at least, and Southeast Asia, the Singaporeans have actually been surprisingly uh, open. I think tough on Russia. I think they've applied sanctions. They've spoken out, but it's really they're the only ones who have. Uh, as I, unless I might have missed somebody, but uh, the rest of Asia, Southeast Asia, it's the usual. You know, we don't want to choose. You know, we we support both sides. That sort of thing, which works as long as it works but southeast asia is kind of a kind of ridiculous uh, when it comes to sort of uh, international politics but singapore has you know has stuck its neck out and which is you know i, I think i must admit to some admiration for it because they have been wavering uh, in recent times on the this issue of particularly uh, what to do about china so that's sort of how you know, the, the Japanese have sort of surprised me. The the Korean election, of course, was I thought a good a good outcome, uh, and then there, there's Singapore, and then the other thing I forgot to mention, but whatever that was. Um, so it's, <laughs> and Taiwan, yeah, I should should know, but the, so it's, it has sort of gotten attention. But you know, let let's see, uh, you know, particularly you know, one wonders if you know how if the interest will fade. Um, but I must say that, you know, with a, looking at what the Russians are doing to these Ukrainian cities and towns, these are just the, the latest modern version of the Mongolians, you know, laying waste to cities and villages and all their inhabitants. And you know, this is something that there should be somebody, you know, in the U.S. government, and, you know, as far as the international community, that doesn't really exist. But certainly the U.S. government, somebody should be maybe putting in a passing word for international humanitarian law and custom. Uh, you know, we suppose that that's supposed to matter. I mean, you, you look at these do-gooders. Well, is it at the rational basis for the United Nations? Well, that's kind of. You know, that's why I used to collect for UNICEF in Halloween and would only get one cent instead of candy. Right. The kind of neighborhood I lived in, it was a choice. Uh, so... But yeah, it's somebody should be. And you look at all these groups that brought suits against the U.S. forces in Afghanistan, you know, for hurting civilians, despite you know probably being the the most careful military ever to conduct operations anywhere. Where what what do they say? Not a peep. And you know, we should if we had any competent people on the U.S. government payroll who did strategic communications, propaganda, political warfare. They would be just running wild with all this stuff. And I'm told there are people who get paid to do this, but I have no idea what they actually do for a living. Uh, so we're seeing this opportunity just, it's 
comes and it's squat we just we don't even squander it we just let it go uh, so that's um, you know one area where I wish we would do a little better on it but uh, you know the you look at the look at the footage and it, you know what the the Russians are doing and you know if they get away with this you know, and, and looks like they kind of are that you can imagine what lesson the Chinese are taking from this and the Chinese may even say well we're even gonna we're going to be able to actually prevent the pictures from getting out so and you know the people will get used to it, and the the Westerners will, and it'll be business as usual after we've gotten Taiwan. So you know, I think Ukraine is you know a good, pretty good foretaste of what we will or won't see uh, with Taiwan in the the relatively near future. You know, I was having a conversation with somebody, and we were talking about um, you know this, you know, they made the comment that. You know, this is, you know, like Hitler going into Poland, Czechoslovakia, you know, whatever, France. And, you know, then the conversation went to, well, it's really not. You know, the Germans made war on the opposing army. Right. And, you know, in, in those invasions, and they did not make war on the general population. And that's what you're seeing now is a Russian military that, Again, we've said this before, but it does not. It is not big enough. It doesn't have the ass to do to do urban warfare. So they will, you know, they will get to a city and then they will just start laying the wood to uh, military targets and civilian targets, uh, and then wreck the city. As Grant said, this is akin to the Mongols, you know, destroying, destroying, and except we're now getting to watch it on TV. And so, to me, um, if the Russian state um, is not does not have to pay the worst um, economic consequences, the worst diplomatic consequences for all those that would you know use Henry Kissinger's real politic as a model and say, not in the American interest, we do everything up to that red line, do not cross that. They're a nuclear power power. This is what's in our interest. Okay, I got that. But if, 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 if the Russian state and its people are not made to pay for this, then as you said, set your watch, right? Get ready, get ready for Taiwan. Yeah, I, I think so. And, you know, it has to be something so that Xi Jinping and the, these, these top Chinese guys, who, all of whom have most of their wealth outside the country, along with relatives with green cards, they have to look at what has happened to Russia and they have to go like guys, some guy from Jersey would, oh, you know, he, whatever they do, you know, he, they would, um, you know, they would just have to say, whoa, man, this is too much. And if it isn't, if it isn't that, then I think they will like their odds uh, is, is right. my way of, of looking at it. I would note, I think that Warsaw got whapped, uh, got hit very hard in the, when they, the Germans invaded uh, Poland, but that your point is t well taken. They did seem to go after military targets uh, and the army, not just circle it and say do what the the, the armies of the Khan, the Khan well, would have done. Let, but, so, but the Warsaw Ghetto uprising was in what forty three or something when the Germans wasted mm -hmm. that. That was that yeah. was later in the war, right? Where they had, they had, they had penned all the 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 Jewish population mm -hmm. of Warsaw, and that's when they got after 
they raised that part of the city, yes? Mm-hmm. Or yes, am I not remembering that right? Oh, I'm sort of being pedantic in a way that I'm just noting that they did hit Warsaw pretty hard in the initial run. And then they, but you're right, a couple of years later, uh, after having you know done their best to starve all the Jewish people to death or else murder them, right. uh, then when there was the, the, there was the, I think the, the ghetto revolt, but then there was also, I think the, but there was also, I think, then the what they called the non-Jewish Poles revolted in the Warsaw Uprising, while the Russians were waiting across the river. And the Russians waited, right? Yeah. As the yeah. Germans killed them, and yeah, that's all later in the war. Yeah, but that, that's but saying right. where it's, it's just because um, I'm a know-it-all. That's why, <laughs> that's why that's why I raised it. But the the point is well taken, uh, is is my as I understand it. Right. Uh, you know, they were Rotterdam got hit. Um, I think in the going the other direction, and that was a gun. But 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 when you say hit, we're talking nowhere near what we're seeing in terms of the war being waged against the population of a nation that we're seeing right now. This is akin to what Sherman did to Atlanta. Now you're getting me mad, uh, (laughs) right? As a a man of Virginia that struggles to be a New Jerseyan. (laughs) right? Um, You can identify with with your with your southern folk that uh that still get irritated with the burning of atlanta but that's what sherman did right the the concept of total war against the population it's not like the united states has never seen it It happened during the civil war and you know and and atlanta is one of the cities it happened to yeah i actually used to teach law of war um so i kind of know a little bit about the topic um and what you're watching this is this isn't even, there's not even a fig leaf. Uh, this is just uh, brazen, sort of illegal activity. Uh, and it's also, you know, you, one aspect of this is if this is all you got, you know, you're, you're this incompetent that all you can do is fire rockets into apartment buildings. Um, my goodness, what has been, you know, the, you know, we're talking peasants in suits who are, you know, apparently running the show. It, it, it's it, it, from a, just a military perspective. It's you know doesn't it makes you look like idiots uh, if you have that's got nothing better to do than that. And from a from a legal perspective, uh, and one that should result in people the people behind it, the people who ordered it who are doing it, they should be hounded for the rest of their lives, and so that they might be lucky to go I don't know live in North Korea. Uh, but that's the world doesn't seem to care all that much, or at least not as much as they should. Um, quick thought on you have the leaders of Poland, uh, Slovakia, and the other nation is uh, Slovenia. Slovenia Poland, going to don't going Czech. to Kiev. That's not I mean, that that's that's an act of physical courage. Yes, I think so. Yeah, it's I was. You know, I was glad to see that. I think it does have some significance. Uh, let's see what comes of it and what the the other civilized nations uh, also do. You know, from the, based on that example, I right. thought it was good to see. You know, they, it uh, does take some some nerve to go, and it, it's. Uh, you know, I thought that was a, a positive thing. I, I wish the Slovaks had gone, uh, but they they haven't yet. So, got it. Uh, you wrote a piece here. Um, recently about Chinese defense spending. Um, talk to us about your uh, your the salient point 
of, uh, <laughs> of that piece which you published yesterday. And people can find it at japan-forward.com. So, Grant? Uh, well, it's, um, it has many salient points. But the, <laughs> but the, 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 the most salient one is... Um, yeah, you can look it up when you, when you have time, okay? So I, know, <laughs> I know you're goofing on it right now, but I know you don't know what it means. So at some <laughs> point... Right. It crossed, it crossed my as mind. you work as on your New Jersey, yeah. you know, oh. uh, on-air personality, you can go ahead and look up salient. <laughs> I think you can only have one. <laughs> As I was making fun of you, I realized I probably should. I was making fun of myself, in fact. But the uh, my point is, is, and I'm sort of pointing out the obvious, is that China doesn't really have a defense budget. It has, you know, basically a blank check that it is cashing or, or printing the money for. And it, it will spend any amount of money it takes to build up the Chinese military to the point it can, one, defeat the Americans, two, protect China's overseas interests, which means be able to project power around the globe. And it, it doesn't matter what it takes. And the Americans, you know, the commentariat and our, you know, our intelligence community, they all puzzle over how much do the Chinese really spend on defense? And the Chinese announce a figure, it's like $230 billion a year, which is about a third to a fourth of what we spend. And the Chinese say, well, we spend only a third or fourth of what you Americans do, and you're the ones who are causing all the trouble. You know, you're the warmongers, but us, we only spend, you know, whatever, $230 billion. And that kind of gets, gets some credence on, you know, by and the analyst community, the intelligence world. Uh, but it shouldn't. And what I'm pointing out is that for things that the Chinese have to pay for for defense, they will spend anything, any amount. You just have to run the printing presses. So if they're paying in Chinese currency for something, there is no limit. They, it's not like the Pentagon where you have a, you know, Congress gives you a budget. You have to live within it. And if you spent it all, that's that. In China, that's, there is no limit. You spend what you know, what it takes to build up that military. And, and I also point out that, uh, the, look at what the Chinese get for their, their money. And, you know, they, you know, you look at an American LES or whatever they, you know, whatever they use these days, and a Chinese one, and the Chinese spend a fraction on personnel. And you know how much we spend right, for our people. Right, so they're, right. you know, that doesn't cost them much. And you're spending, you're paying in Chinese money. Well, the so, truth is, what is yeah. it, is it personnel like sixty percent of the DoD budget? Something like that. Yeah. It's a huge amount, which you know I consider fair enough. But uh, though I would perhaps at some level might sort of uh, reduce salaries until they win wars, but that's another issue. No, yeah, you, uh, you but, would uh, you would make it like a commission base or incentivize like performance. <laughs> that th this many ships have to be at sea or else you get paid 20 grand a year, yeah, right? You, and, then, and then, you know, what would ultimately save the DOD <laughs> would be all these spouses across the DOD sticking their foot up their husband or wife's ass and saying, hey, we're not taking a pay cut. Get those fucking ships at sea. Got it, honey. See ya. Yeah. There you go. Uh, you know, Jan, the Grant, that was a little bit of genius right there. Well done. Well, it was inadvertent. <laughs> but the, uh, the other thing about the Chinese, besides personnel, that they get a good deal on. But, you know, I mean, that that is, I mean, when you begin to compare categories, right? So, so China spends 
let's say China spends 20% of the of, of, of their budget on personnel. That means if they spend that 80%, that 80%, right, is really, it's different. You can't look at the budget the same way, right? And that's your point. It, you, it just, it's, it makes no sense. And uh, one friend actually, he suggests the Chinese put out the budget only as a favor to the Americans. So they can, so the Americans have some frame of reference, even though it has no meaning at all. The other point I'd make is that the Chinese, you know, for whatever they spend, you know, they're look at what they produce. And in last year or two, they have put out seven, seven combatants for every one the Americans have produced. So in, in, in 20, terms of warships, yeah. Yeah. Uh -huh. So from twenty and from twenty sixteen to twenty twenty, the Chinese Navy built as much tonnage as the entire Japanese Navy. So they're cranking this stuff out. And they, you know, the, the idea they've got some upper limit on what their budget is, I think, mistaken. But where they are vulnerable, as we talked about, is for things that you have to get overseas, like iron ore, uh, technology, etc. You have to pay in US dollars. And that's where they have a limit. There, there, there is a finite amount of a foreign exchange available to the Chinese. And that is where you can you could slow down their military development if you're smart. But as we've talked about, the, while the Chinese don't have anywhere near the foreign exchange they need, I don't think they've got half of what is really necessary to pay all their obligations or to pay for all the things they want to do overseas or get from overseas, that Wall Street and America's business class makes up the difference. So when we're pouring in two, $300 billion a year of convertible currency into China, well, that's money they have to spend on building up their military for those things you have to pay for in dollars. And I think you can see the, the insanity of that. So that's what my piece is about. And it's really just pointing out the obvious, uh, but you know, it seemed like it was needed. It needed pointing out, not that anybody's really going to listen because they're still going to, you know, fuss over the how much the Chinese budget really is and blah, 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 uh, instead of looking at it in the sense of uh, the Chinese are willing to spend whatever it takes to defeat us. And that's, you know, if you, I think that's probably the, the, the best way to think of the Chinese defense budget. All right. Um, first of all, what haven't I asked you about China v. Ukraine? Or, or, or China looming in the background of Russia v. Ukraine that is important that people should know today before they commence their work day? Oh, I would, as in, because we remember the word mendacious, that, you know, that, that'd be the word, that'd be the thing, is that uh, China has no interest in a sol solution or settlement of the Ukraine, of U the Ukraine problem the way we would. They have no interest in that. They are fully on board with the Russians and that any suggestion otherwise is mistaken. That would be the thing that I would probably take uh, take with me um, when thinking about it. Because you're hearing people talk about Russia, you know, China offering help in solving the, the problem that Putin will listen to Xi and if we're uh, nice to the Chinese and give them something and that they'll help us out. We need their help. Therefore, we cannot, we shouldn't pressure the Chinese. Um, if we do that, we're uh, going to lose. So there. 
that's the thing that I would keep in mind. Can you spell mendacious? Oh, it's a M E M N D A C I D C S C I U S. M E N D A C I O U S, right? Something like that. And then wait for spell check to kick in. <laughs> Not telling the truth, comma, actually, semicolon, lying. Yeah, that's, um, it's a nice way of saying that. <laughs> Like they're liars, <laughs> but it's just my, under men, my, mendacity. My yeah. mendacious mother. And then nobody would even know what you were talking about, right? Oh, no, I thought everybody knew that. <laughs> <laughs> so, us, us intellectuals, we have that. It's a, it's a difficult yeah. life for us. You see, I like the word for some reason. But, oh, um, it rolled off your tongue you know, you very eloquently. You, yeah, you don't get to use it often enough. But the, they basically, the Chinese are lying. Um, that's a pretty good rule of thumb. Uh, so, and they're. It sounded they, so much gentler when you said mendacious. <laughs> well, you know, I was trying to be nice. Well, you it, it was. It was eloquent. It was eloquent. Um, <laughs> yeah. But I have to remember that. The mendacious quality of my guest today. Um, and then they would nobody would absolutely nobody would know what you were talking about. So anyway, yeah, they think it was good. In fact, yeah, it has a nice nice sound to it. Here's an here's an email. Hey Mac, I'm curious. Um, is there anything in the the Russia Ukraine conflict that has surprised Grant? Uh, yeah, the I you know, I thought didn't think Ukraine would defend the way they have. Um, I. Probably, you know, I probably didn't know enough about the I, the situation. You know, I should have, but I didn't think they'd get it. Um, I didn't think it would last this long. Uh, that surprised me. I didn't think the Russians would have this much trouble. Uh, but one other thing that has I found very interesting, and I wasn't sure how it would play out, but I had a feeling there'd be trouble, and we kind of talked about it a bit. Is the the effective sort of relatively effective move the Russians have made in the south, which doesn't get the attention. It's the the fight around Kiev, which is seems to be, you know, what you see, but they've you know, been able to get forces ashore in the south. They've got an amphibious threat uh, as well. I think they've done some landings and they've also got a naval blockade to support its wheat crop, if it can even harvest it. You know, they've, there's a lot going on in the South, which I think is uh, is very important to the ultimate outcome here. And the Russians have had uh, sort of more success down there, but they've shown what you can do with amphibious forces uh, properly employed. And that's where I, you know, it'd be, I think that part of it deserves more attention. Uh, than it's gotten. And that's has been interesting to see as I had a feeling that they would have some prospects down there if they they pushed. But that's just, uh, and I didn't expect the Germans or the Europeans to rouse from their slumber. I, you know, I must confess to not having anticipated that at all. I thought the Russian, the Germans would just double down on their cowardice, uh, cravenness, um, their mendacity. Uh, that, uh, so that that's surprising. well you know it's i i, I would push surprised. back on that because the germ the germans they don't even lie about it they lived in this <laughs> fantasy world you know presented to them by angela merkel 
this I alternate think, this alternative yeah. reality and i i would say their about face has been stunning on watching it has been stunning on a daily basis yeah so i would say there's many things that about the about the ukraine situation that have surprised me now that i think about it right. uh you know i did remember i did say that putin was going to do something that shocked us and he certainly i guess i was kind of right on that um but the the way it's played out you know has been a been a surprise uh, you know the somebody told putin you know like uh with like the the kaiser's generals swore they'd get up to paris in a week uh back in 1914 well it took a little longer than that and something but, but similar not happened but not Russians. much right no not it's, much. well well it took them four oh, years oh i'm thinking i'm no i'm thinking of uh you said the Dolph. kaiser in world war one yeah, i'm thinking not, of uh no, of of another event in the nineteen four yeah. in the early nineteen forties that did not take more much more than a week. Yeah, uh, that's so. Yeah, I was talking about the first one. Right. Didn't so. But the uh, but Vladimir Putin right um, doesn't have have the nineteen late nineteen thirties and early nineteen forties version of the Wehrmacht, you know, marauding around uh, Eastern Europe. He has his own military, which again. Uh, it's it's very hard to discern what's going on in there, um, but if you just look at the map, the story the map tells you is the Russian military is being fought to a stalemate by the Ukrainian military, and uh, and and if the if if the Western nations can continue to supply um, uh, the Ukraine military with drones with javelins with stingers um this thing's going to go on for a while and so anyway grant first of all I, I appreciate your time as always and uh have a wonderful day in the western pacific and uh uh our paths will cross again this week okay sounds good always enjoy it all right thanks grant right home mm -hmm. there you have it Grant Newsham here on a uh, on a Tuesday, and uh, so right now for your your list, listening pleasure, uh, the Mensa brothers uh, join me here on a uh, extended version of All Marine Radio here on this Tuesday. On this Tuesday, we have uh, the entire ensemble uh, back in their places with bright shining faces. So. Um, Joining me from Southern California is Jeff Kenny. Jeff, how are you? Good, thank you. How did teaching go yesterday? Everybody's interested. It went really good. Good. Uh, Marines were interested. Uh, we had the uh, we had a, a lieutenant colonel who was uh, deeply involved in the uh, Neo out of uh, Kabul on the thirty uh, in August, and he he spoke and it was uh, a lot of illuminating stuff. Everybody, uh, it was a good. Good evolution for about two hours yesterday morning. Where did you, so what is the class? What's the title of the class? The title of the class is Non-Combatant Evacuation Operation. Got it. And basically it's aimed at, it was something we developed in TUMEF when I was there. Um, they don't formally teach it in one meth, but they use the, the materials that we developed there. <clears throat> and um, it basically, uh, you know, it talks about the relationship between the, the DOD and the State Department down to um, all the way down to the actual, you know, counselor officer and sergeant, you know, trying to deal with evacuees and stuff. So all the way soup to nuts. 
But uh, it was done by a guy named Ingram, Lieutenant Colonel Ingram and his folks, who were the remnants of the old advisor training cadre that they had there in Lejeune. And I inherited those guys um, because they that mission went away for them. They call it ATC there. They call it ATB in uh, California. And basically teams from 2MEF would go through their training and then end up out in the desert at, at the advisor training group. When that went away, those guys were seconded, as the Brits say, <laughs> to uh, SOTG. And we, we put them in uh, uh, this uh, organization that just basically specialized NEOs, uh, humanitarian assistance, and also non-lethals. So besides the raid branch and the you know special missions branch and stuff like that, you had the, these guys too. Got it. Um, all right. And then joining me from McAllen, Texas is Tim Lynch. Tim, good morning. How are you? I'm doing great, Mac. Doing great. Thanks for having me. You bet. Always a pleasure. And then uh, newly home from the Empire State, William Costantini. Will, how are you? Uh, give us an overall uh, after you tell us how uh, bubbly you are this morning. Um, go ahead and then give us a synopsis of the birthday. Uh, I am... Uh Wonderful, personally. Uh, the birthday was an extravaganza. Um, so my brother and two nephews had been there all week. I came in, I was there during the week. My sister only lives about an hour away. And then uh, one daughter and son-in-law came in. And then this was supposed to be a surprise party um but you can't have people assemble from you know, all over the country and be a total surprise so a couple of my parents friends um flew in from austin on friday so my mom was really surprised and then so the saturday, surprise keeps uh, unfolding as people arrive yeah saturday there was a blizzard in new york and pennsylvania and there was people driving from New Jersey, Philadelphia, Maryland. Uh, the restaurant canceled at noon on <laughs> Saturday. So, so was the blizzard a surprise and then the cancellation a surprise as well? Well, the blizzard, the blizzard was not on the radar when I left Kansas City on Sunday. And by Wednesday, it was a thing. Uh, we just didn't know how bad it was going to be. And by Thursday, we knew it was going to be bad. But we were just sort of, uh, uh, you know, humming a tune in our head thinking, well, it can't be that bad. Um, when you have 35 people about to assemble and the restaurant cancels at noon, um, we were trying to figure that one out when my sister called the son of a guy who used to work for my dad who owns a bar in town and asked if we could have a party there at four o'clock. And he said, sure. <laughs> so she told a bunch of people, but then on Saturday, my son drove up from my son who happens to be the oldest grandson drove up from uh, Philadelphia. A cousin drove from Maryland um, the daughter of some of my parents' friends from Milwaukee flew in from Milwaukee. Uh, another cousin came from Boston. Um, 
all kinds of people in town. And these people are like showing up at the restaurant because we've already started, but the weather <laughs> delayed them. So it's like my every time my mom turned around, there was somebody new. Wow. So yeah, it was a great event. Absolutely, absolutely great event. Made even greater it, uh, by then the spontaneity of the bar opening, and I mean it's like epic, right? Yeah, yeah. It was uh, in. Uh, what did you eat? Uh, so you have this, you know. So what do you? How do you get food into the bar? Nobody gives a no, shit, no, right? It's a, it's a it's a bar restaurant, and they opened you know? the whole thing, or uh, or yeah, it was know, they, they have a, or it was open, and you guys just piled in. Yeah, it was open, and they had a they had a uh, let me think they got they got about fifteen maybe fifteen twenty tables at the most, and then they have a fairly small party room in the back, and so we all hid in the back room when she came in. Hey, surprise. And then so we had that room, which seated about 20, and then we just spread into some tables in the restaurant. And uh, it's one of these places, you know, they serve bar food, but it's like upscale bar food. It's a nice place. It's fairly new. This guy has owned a couple of places in town, and this one's fairly new, but it's good. And uh, and uh, uh, the one of these guys, his father worked for my dad for quite a few years. Um and actually, this guy's mother is a friend of my parents. She came to the party as well. So there's a little bit of pressure on him when we were there. You know, you got to perform. Yeah, your mom's yeah. there. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good thing. So, yeah, how about how clutch yeah. is your sister? Who knew she would be the clutch person in the family, huh? Well, you know, it's the, it's the beauty of sort of being around in the same place for 50-something years. You actually know people, you know? That is the, um, that is the beauty of your hometown. Yeah. Right. So, um, and in some ways, we did the guy a favor, right? A little bit. We brought thirty-five people in at four o'clock on a Saturday in the middle of a blizzard when he was going to be open anyhow. So, um, and then by the time we left, uh, the place was relatively full, uh, but he did an extra whatever business you do on 35 people eating and drinking for a couple hours so you know symbiotic scratch you scratch me yada yada and then the whole thing was culminated um by me arising at 0215 eastern time yesterday being in the car at 256 and getting home at 2010 central 1143 miles as a Catholic, oh, I'm, a little, I'm a little bit put off by you using the term arising relative to yourself, oh. okay? All right. So anyways, so... <laughs> Jeffrey, Jeffrey will understand yesterday. that. Me and Mac were on the phone yesterday, so I did a, a survey. How many Teslas do you see on the interstate between central New York and Kansas City in one day? I know the answer uh -huh. to this. Sounds like a Jody. Just one day. <laughs> How many Teslas do you see in 1142 miles, Tim? You're muted. Zero. None. I, I actually saw three. Whoa. Three. You're observing. <laughs> and I'm just trying to think how many other cars do you see out there when you drive 1,100 miles? Do you see? And I'm not talking on the other side of the highway, just on your side. Yeah. Um, do you see? 2,000, 3,000, 5,000, 10,000. I don't really know. 
But to think yeah. I saw three Teslas. Three, the idea three Teslas out of 3,000 cars. Do you think that would be representative of Tesla uh, populating the nation relative to the nation? Hmm. Yeah. Outside of some zip codes in California, it likely is. Mm -hmm. Which, you know, it just it goes back to the discussion last week about this idea that we need to move to electric vehicles and 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 you know it's it's folly um you know and the other part for just people to think about is life cycle um <laughs> if you move to an electric vehicle that means the 99 other percent of vehicles you see on the road need to be disposed of in some way and hey, last I, I, I just I'm sorry. I just googled. I just googled what percentage of cars are electric cars, and I and I so out comes some selections. I hit the first one, and up comes dangerous web page blot for for providing unreliable information. Do you believe that shit? Mm. Unbelievable. Yeah. So a yeah. life cycle. You got to dispose of, you know, 99% of the vehicles on the road, and then you got to dispose of all those gas stations that you see. I mean, it's really when people stand up and talk about electrical electric vehicles saving us. First, they tell you that the environmental disaster is if we don't do anything by 2030, right? It's over. It used to be 2020. Now it's 2030. Mm -hmm. It's over. Life on Earth doesn't exist. And then they tell you we got to go to electric vehicles. And then you just. You just open your eyes and ask the second question. It it shows how ignorant and um, it's ignorant of people that think that policy is good, and it's ignorant of anyone who believes it. And so, anyways, that was my bout of critical thinking yesterday on the road. My dog wasn't much of a conversationalist, so I had to think of something else to do while I was driving. So there you have it. That is kind of the, uh, and a, Tim, if you don't mute yourself when you're beating on that fucking keyboard, I'm going to fucking I kill apologize. your ass, I, man. I thought I was. Sorry. God almighty. Um, all right. You ready, Timmy? I am. Go ahead. Okay. I'm starting review of the news uh, in notable uh, incidents yesterday uh, out of Russia, a woman ran onto the Channel One newsroom live news thing uh, with anti-war signs, yelling anti-war slogans. That's, I just point that out because, again, that that kind of uh, that kind of action in Russia is taking your life into your own hands. That was a brave act, and I just wanted to take my hat off to that unknown um, woman. Now, um, here's tomorrow, a qu here's a question for you: Why would they be doing the news live? I, I, these are things I cannot answer, my friend. But um, she apparently made quite the splash. Yeah, and you, I, I, and you present that opportunity to somebody when you do it live. Yeah, and that's yeah, not do. controlling the media that goes out to the nation, and the whole nation yeah. saw that and is wondering. And what did she say? Uh, she said they're lying to you. You know, yeah, stop the yeah, war. This is, yeah, stop the war. I, stop I didn't the read line, the again. Yeah, yeah. Oh. yeah, it was. It, I mean, that's just that's just raw courage on the part of one individual. Like seeing that in our fellow humans. Well, you know, um, and here's the other interesting thing is, is you know, the world being what it is today, try as they may to button everything up, you cannot anymore. 
Mm-hmm. You cannot. Mm-hmm. Though, though they, you know, one of the great industries in uh, in Russia and and in nations that are controlled, Iran, uh, is finding gateways that allow you access to you know the real internet, and therefore you're able to read um, content. And again, the BBC has been. I mean, is is probably the most respected international name in news been around forever been what a lot of people have listened to forever and uh and these people know how to find it they did in iraq and they listened to the bbc they'd listened to it for decades so yeah uh, so it's yeah bbc pashto was the most popular program in afghanistan no doubt got it and and that was a perfect segue into the more ridiculous news from yesterday which is there is a collection of TikTok influencers t- uh, bought in by the White House to get uh, spun up on the war to, to help with messaging. I would suspect that's going to fail dismally, but who knows? Tomorrow, the Ukrainian president addresses Congress remotely from, from the Ukraine. And what's interesting is, is today, prior to this address of Congress, where he's going to ask uh, for more for more military assistance, of course, Prior to that, a delegation of central, excuse me, central European leaders are flying into Kiev today. That's Poland's prime minister, his deputy prime minister. I'm not a, attempting to do their names because it's I just can't do that many vowels. Czech's prime minister uh, and a prime minister from Slovenia, as well as a representative for the European Council, will all be meeting with the president today in Kiev. That's uh, that's heartening to see. Um, isn't it too many consonants? He, I don't mean to be tech, he, be too I, too will like with yeah, you. Mac, but isn't it Mac too many? Can't do the vowels. Mac is vowel challenged. Isn't it? But it isn't is, it, it is too is many consonants in the, those Polish it names? Is, it, it may well. It may well be showing my ineptitude at basic English. Oh my Do you God. not know the this difference what, between is, a? You, I know you're a public school no, kid, no, but no. do you not know the difference between a consonant and a vowel? Yes, I know a difference between a continent and a vowel. It's just not in my short-term memory at the second. This is the result of not paying attention all the way through high school, of not switching on. Everybody knows the consonants are taller than the vowels. <laughs> Everyone knows that. That's the dead giveaway, Tim. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's what I'm talking about. But I can't, regardless whether it's too many vowels or too many consonants, I, I cannot do these guys justice, with the exception of the Prime Minister of Slovenia, John's Johnson. There you go. I can do that one. And I think that's about it. Uh, and Zelensky, because I've heard that enough. But the rest of them, it's uh, it's it's a disgusting artifact of being an American that you, you're not at all good with foreign names. You should be proud now, of that. Thank you, Jeffrey. Thank you. Hey, careful, again. Tim. Careful. Let's just talk. What are American names? American names are Smith, Johnson, Rodriguez, Smolensko. Those are all good American names. Right. That's 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 true. the beauty of America. Those that's true. And, names, and, yeah. you know, who knows what they are? But yeah, <laughs> yeah, they're, yeah, to, yeah, they're to not us, Americanized. Yet. To us, is a foreign name. Like, whoa, you must not uh, be from around here, right? No, people always say to me, "Oh, where are you from?" I said, "America." Oh, but isn't your names? I said, "No, my name's American." Just like <laughs> Zheng Jing, Johnson, Rodriguez, all are those good American names. Some people, the light bulb goes off and they get it, and other people mm-hmm. look like you. Like you got two heads. You know? mm-hmm. Yeah. So. No, that is that is a point well taken. Yeah. So, uh, continuing on with the with the review, there were two 
uh, initiatives going on yesterday, two talks, one of which I think is more significant than the other. And the one I think is the most significant would be the Israeli uh, Prime Minister Naftali Bennett's continuing efforts shuttling back and forth between Moscow and, and uh, apparently um, Germany, as well as working the phones in his attempt to to uh, uh, reach or broach some kind of a peace effort. The only reason I think that's uh, um, uh, of more significance than most of the peace efforts is the deep ties Israeli has, Israel has with both countries. So I think that that's, that's a, a pretty interesting development. What the world was focused on yesterday was a seven hour marathon meeting in Italy between China and the United States. And this is interesting because we now see China kind of put in the same position that we're often put in, which which is they've got a, a client partner relationship with Russia. Um, Russia is, of course, going to try to conflate their their status with China's. In other words, they, that, that, that China doesn't want to see their their friend and, and, and partner going down. And most of the time, you know, regimes can leverage that that process for not winning the war because that requires like civic responsibility but getting billions of dollars out of their out of their method like afghanistan did to us so right now what's not clear is a, is is what china's calculus is with this seven hours of warning about not assisting russia but we know that it's pretty evident to us that there's been no meaningful record of penalizing China for anything whatsoever, and I, I think as China and thinks it's an un, uh, it's 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 the unsinkable state. It's too we're too tied up in China to avoid to be able to punish it with any kind of, of penalties, and so we're going to have to see what what China does with this stern warning not to provide aid, but to, to, to assume that it's going to refuse Russian aid um, is is. As I think is unreasonable. I think that they're definitely going to going to continue to provide aid, and I think that a, a Russia going down hard would do more harm to China than any kind of sanctions we'd be willing to put on China. So I don't give that seven-hour marathon talk a whole lot of credence, although I think others might might. But uh, I don't think it's going to make any difference ultimately to China, who uh, is going to do whatever China wants to do and thinks that's best in in China's interest. Other than these these things, we uh, we we're getting the normal sites. Uh, uh, excuse me, the the normal reporting as they shift around for something to report. Now the emphasis is on cultural sites at risk. Now that the nuclear power plant seems to have disappeared, and the uh, the the fact that there's all these uh, uh, <laughs> that Ukraine is the biggest provider of surrogate mothers that doesn't seem to have any water, and um, so we're just into kind of the same old reporting from the Ukraine. On the outside, it's 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 efforts to try to get this thing to calm down, and and we're going to have to see what those produce. I would put my money on the on the uh, Israelis being the more effective of the of those efforts, but we have to see. Um, interesting little note. Um, since yesterday, four different defense attorneys have been scouring Moscow in search of Marina. Ovsin Ekova, the woman who interrupted a TV news broadcast with an anti-war protest. Hmm. No, nobody has been able to find her. Many hours have passed since anyone saw her alive. So just a yeah. little, little tidbit. Jeffrey, operational okay, stuff? Uh, yeah. Um, 
yesterday is a pretty big day, and that's uh, reported from both the Russian side, the Ukrainian side, and what news media as, as you have in, uh, in Ukraine right now. Um, although the fighting has been reported as heavy, there's been no Russian gains of, of a note. And the most compelling thing is in the vicinity of Kiev, um, they tried to force a pontoon bridge across the uh, Irpin River, the Russians did, and they were thwarted. Uh, and when I say thwarted, I'm not sure what that means. My guess is uh, they, they unhinged the bridge, they destroyed some vehicles that were on it, and so they didn't get across the river you know, with, uh, with that tank column. The, uh, according to the Ministry of Defense, uh, though, the, uh, this is the British, British Ministry of Defense, says that uh, maritime-wise, the, the Ukrainians have been cut off down south uh, you know, for, into the Black Sea there around the Crimea as far as maritime trade and, and things like that. But of a more interesting or another interesting note, uh, there's still rail traffic going pretty much unimpeded throughout Ukraine, even in the Kiev area. So like subways, uh, you know, commuter trains, things like that are still operating. Um, the, uh, there's been more fixed wing bombing type activity. Uh, yesterday, they, they, uh, the, the Russians, they bombed a bridge uh, near uh, Kameski. Kameski between, um, I mean, this is going to sound ridiculous, Enter Hodar and Zaporizhia, which, as we know, is the old Cossack uh, stomping grounds, and that was used to send aid and evacuate civilians. Was the bridge bomb apparently damaged, not sure, not clear whether it's destroyed or not. Um, and then the words that we kind of agree on that Will brought up, heavy shelling continued on 13, 14 March in the Kharkov and uh, Sumy areas but again it's hard to quantify you know except there has been some horrific uh newsreel shots of people who've been hit by uh you know by obviously indirect fire of some kind whether it's bombing missiles or uh, already it's hard to to uh, to quantify however it seems like the russians got their two artillery in play now and they're using it um which they used to be good at but they used to be good at a lot of stuff that they're kind of showing their ass lately here and uh you know during this ukraine fight um the uh the uh the, there's like some in infighting going on within the ukraine uh, um political leadership according to the russians so i don't know how uh you know how reliable this but they're saying that the uh the uh the uh oh geez quoted the deputy head of Crimea saying that Russian forces are in control of the land corridor that links Crimea to Mariupol. Ukrainian officials are yet to comment on that statement. So, you know, that uh, the Russians are making some progress, but not that much. And this is kind of like, uh, you know, up in the air. Do they really do that? Do they really, uh, you know, have that total control there? Uh, the, you know, the, the linkage between Crimea and Mariupol. It's, you know, it's still unclear. Um, Chechen leader uh, Kadrov is reportedly in the Ukraine. Um, and also uh, yesterday there's uh, announcements that they're going to send in Syrian mercenaries are going to get up there and fight uh, for Russia in the Ukraine, which is to me is a sign of uh, Russian weakness, really, along with uh, you know other uh, volunteers from the uh, from the Middle East who, who seem to be falling all over themselves to 
help Russia, or at least appear to help Russia. Um, the uh, Ukrainian officials uh, told the International Atomic Energy Agency that uh, the, the day before yesterday that uh, external power to the Chernobyl nuclear power plant was restored and uh, by a repair personnel of, uh, of from Ukraine. So that's uh, kind of kind of interesting because the Russians own the own that power plant now. So apparently, and for a while, if you guys remember, they were being reported as that all the workers are being held as hostages. So apparently, you know, there's more clarity coming from this. Um, uh, they got like uh, the the Ukrainians managed to uh, evacuate 5,500 civilians from the. Uh, Areas in the front, what are now the front lines, uh, day before yesterday, and uh, they've been successfully evacuated from the Kiev uh, region, and uh, I think they're in uh, going towards the uh, border with Poland now. Um, tactically, that's pretty much what we got right now. Besides a lot of rumor and stuff like that, there's a lot of uh, uh, newsreel stuff that's you know that that comes out with, especially uh, you know talking about civilian casualties, which are growing. You know, as you would expect. So that's pretty much uh, what I got right now. So you know, again, so to summarize, Jeff, I mean, a lot of churn, right? Uh, no, yeah. no major breakthrough. More of what we've seen, which is uh, now more tubed artillery, both against um, military and civilian targets. Mm-hmm. And uh, and and as you as you pointed out, probably the, the thing that breaks squelch and all of it is the bridging attempt uh, that was thwarted uh mm-hmm. in on the Irpin river and that that's northwest of the city yay right. where they attempted yep. a bridge right so uh so again i think that you know you we watch this stuff every day and i think you almost um you know if you step back and you say okay w- what changed here today and the answer is not very much which is again uh i think a tribute to the ukrainian military and uh you and- know one other thing will asked me this yesterday he and I were talking. How many people do? Uh, how many uh, casualties has uh, Russia suffered? Uh, CNN's, for what it's worth, says U.S. officials estimates between six thousand and eight thousand Russian ground force fatalities so far. No, 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 no. They. I, I was going to talk about this, Matt. They're saying fatalities or casualties? Fat, fatalities. F-A-T-A-L. So that's a CNN, that yeah, a, that's a CNN fuck up. Because the numbers that I saw was U.S. estimate 4,500 to 6,000 casualties. Ca- CNN fucked that up. There can't be casualties. I mean, that's killed and wounded in the whole event. Yeah, from, if they had six. From, if they had six thousand casualties, and the ratio is one to ten, that'd be six hundred, <clears throat> six hundred killed in action and fifty-five hundred wounded. If they had six thousand fatalities, and the ratio is one to ten, that means they took sixty thousand casualties. That's a ridiculous number. I could I could see somewhere around five thousand casualties. 500 killed in action, 4,500 wounded in two weeks. That is not insignificant, mm-hmm. right? We we went from the border to Baghdad in three weeks, 
and in a division took 20 killed in action. Right. In Fallujah, how many killed in action were there in the second battle of Fallujah? I haven't looked it up, but I think there was about 50. Yeah. 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 It's a heavy urban fight for three weeks. So when people say that the Russians have taken 5,000, or the the Ukrainians are saying the Russians have taken 11,000 killed, that's a that's a ridiculous number. All right, let me just so, so if you well okay, I, and I don't know right. All I'm saying is here's what people are reporting. So this is saying a U.S. US official estimate is six to eight thousand Russian ground force fatalities. Okay, so while yeah. you were ta- while you were talking. I just did a search on U.S. estimates of Russian killed in action, right? Five to 6,000 Russian soldiers have been killed according to U.S. sources, right? Um, there's one. Uh, let me just find a... I'm gonna, I want to pull up the one I saw because I saw one U.S. estimated... Uh, this, yeah, this is from military... This is, this is a week ago from military.com. Citing American sources, U.S. analysts believe as many as 4,000 Russian troops have been killed in the 13 days since Russia invaded Ukraine. That's 4,000. That would be the lowest estimate I've seen, and that was how many days ago? That was March 8th. That, that was a week ago. On, on the 10th, CBS was reporting between 5,000 and 6,000 killed. Yeah. But it's stress. It's stressed a difficult number to assess in real time, and the number could be closer to thirty-five hundred. That's what yeah. they put on the tenth. But again, yeah, that's still no, that's still a big right. That's so, a that's a lot of that's a that's lot a of big number. I, and again, yeah, it, I, yeah go ahead. I want to find well, you know, one I saw because I saw a U.S. estimate was. Um, shoot. You know, the, the casualty thing is always a hard thing to uh, quantify because even in, in the, like for up until the 60s, they were reporting that 4,500 4, or so Marines got killed in Iwo Jima. And it didn't really come out till the 70s, the true number of 6,821. So I'm reading, uh, so, I'm reading you know. from um, The Sun. Let me see if I find a date on it. Uh, this is March... So it's a week old. And they report the 11,000 number that the Ukrainians are saying. Um, They're reporting uh, these generals that got killed. And then it says an American estimate released the same day was more conservative, putting the number of Russian casualties at 4,500. Now, they don't footnote it, and there's no link to that American estimate. but so March 8th was a week ago today, 4,500 total casualties. Again, that would make sense to me. Right. And if you hey, can, I, go ahead. can I interrupt, I just want to, and I don't want to like put a monkey wrench in what you guys are talking about now, but one thing I didn't mention, remember we talked about these, the corridors, the humanitarian corridors that they had 14 of them planned and supposedly agreed upon behind both sides. Nine of those, as of 13 March, are actually working. Um, so I just want to make sure I got that in. But go ahead, go back to the casualty thing. Yeah, So and it says on March 6th, the Russian MOD claimed 
that they had lost 498 killed in action, 1,600 wounded. So even if you double the Russian MOD to 1,000 killed in action, 3,000 wounded, I would say the wounded number is, is low, um, just the ratio. I, I don't think you can go from 1,000 to 6,000 killed in action. And, and it, again, if you had 6,000 killed in action, I even think at a, at a low ratio number of five to one, that's 35,000 casualties in a force of 200,000. I mean, that's, you know, that's a horrific destruction. And even as bad as a reporting has been because the, you know, there's no one embedded, um, you'd be able to smell that. Right. You know, you'd be able to smell it, let alone see the bodies. And so when they say U.S. officials, <sighs> I'm again, I'm wondering if they heard casualties and turned it into fatalities in their own mind because they see a, a wheeled vehicle and call it a tank and are ignorant. Mm-hmm. You know, that just that number. Again, to me, it doesn't pass a second question. Um, so what we can say with reasonable certainty is somewhere between a thousand and eight thousand Russian soldiers are, are, are thought to be dead. Right? I, I, yeah, I, I would. Yeah, the Russians are admitting five hundred last week. So I think. Yeah. Yeah, double or triple, dr- double or triple that, <clears throat> based on what you think of the Russians, and then the American estimate. Again, if if you take again, you know, you could the the numbers that was was getting thrown around last week was 6,000 dead. Okay. Now, again, if that's a, if that's an error and all these outlets are reporting that error, then somebody obviously needs to correct that, but that's what's out there. And so, so we can say with, 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 with precision somewhere between a thousand and 6,000. Right. And you know, that casualty ratio (laughs) thing, casualty ratio thing that Will is talking about is, the way to look at this, because I remember when I was a kid being fascinated with the Battle of Bulge. And when I was like 14, I found uh, casualty reports from from 15 December when the Battle of Bulge started the Ardennes offensive to like the end of the first week in January, roughly a little bit longer than the time we're talking about here. The United States had 90,000 plus casualties inflicted on it by the Nazis. Of that, 8,000 were KIA. And this is in 1944-45, so there's no helicopters, there's no golden hour, there's none of that. But even so, you know, the dead to wounded ratio, when you're talking shrapnel-producing things, when you're talking, uh, you know, uh, smoke inhalation, stuff like that, there's a lot more wounded than they're going to be dead. And if there's that many w- dead, you know, then you're going to have uh, – that's, that's uh, um, according to the Russian numbers, that's uh, – if you do the ratio the, the way Will was talking – that basically makes them out of the fight now, and that and we yeah. know that that's not happening, right? So, well, l- yeah. let me ask you this: Well, your 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 breakdown, your ratio, is is that our ratio fighting no, Iraq no. and Afghanistan? Is that historical ratio? I, I think that's somewhat historical because the ratio in first LAR in Iraq when I was there was about sixty to one. Right. 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 We took. I'm I'm trying to think. Uh, it might have been 80 to 1. 
No, right. and my point is that a peer to peer conflict, yeah. right, is going to be historical. A, yeah. Yeah. And right. I don't I don't think that the Russians have, are going to have a great medevac. You know, they're not like us in those right. terms. But I think a ratio, I would think it's got to be at least five to one and 10 to one would not be outrageous. 10 wounded for every killed. Not be outrageous at all. Je the number Jeff gave from the Battle of the Bulge was 10 to 1. Right. So, yeah. Do you think that that's kind, of, that's kind of messy, too, because a lot of stuff comes out later. Yeah. Like, uh, People that then, have uh, right. trench foot or frostbite are considered casualties in so some reporting. Right. They're, you know, they're, they're actually injured as opposed to wounded. You know, yeah. there's a lot of that. Yeah, I think a number of seven to ten to one is is would be a good start. That's for sure. Ever I, since I, I've got a I've got a calendar up, boys. I got a little table up, and what it's showing us, what it's showing me, is OIF one to one to one to seven point three, OEF one to four point five. One killed to four and a half. Yeah, that's 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 it. Seven hundred fifty-one killed to three thousand three hundred seventy-two casualties. That's so that's, that's not that's, accurate. Too, that's though. not there accurate. Were, that's there not were twenty thousand or more. Wait, wait, I mean, let me see, let me see where the hell this is. This yeah. sources DoD motherfucker. This this is supposedly an academic paper. Page not I, found. You know, it probably no, I mean, it probably is. That found, gives you yeah. some some indication of where we are academically in the world. Yeah, 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 no. I, but I, I went to hit the reference. It was number, nothing. But the wounded number is, is yeah, massive. Is way higher. I mean, there were there. Yeah, we had a hundred and at least one hundred and fifty, maybe close to two hundred Purple Hearts in our little battalion. Yeah. So yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I don't buy that for a second. All right, I, we'll, I was. All right, we'll continue. Continue. Yeah. Other things, just on the economic side. So oil is down to like ninety-five to a hundred this morning. And digging into it a little bit, um, when when oil spiked uh, over 100 last week, the futures market had an 85, which meant the smart money was saying oil was going to come down. Uh, and, and then it spiked over 130, um, but the futures market didn't go crazy. And so I think what's driving oil down now is uh, COVID is back in the news in China. They just locked down a city with a lot of vowels and consonants, which I'm not going to try, but there's 18 million people in the city. And so the oil market is reacting to increased COVID, which means decreased economic activity. Uh, the other thing, over the weekend, the financial press, Barron's in particular, several of the columnists were looking at, there's a Fed meeting this week, and uh, some of the indicators are flashing red for recession, uh, definitely in Europe, uh, you know, 50-50 in the U.S. in the coming six months, which means decreased economic activity, which means oil goes down. You know, of note, uh, oil was um, a year ago this time, it was about $60 a barrel. On January 1st, I think it was 77 so it gone up 25% in 2021. And then if it's at 96 today, that's up another almost 25% in the last 
month and a half. Um, and just gas prices across the country driving back and forth. Uh, unleaded peaked at about 445 in New York. I saw diesel as high as 590. Um, and in Missouri yesterday, I bought gas under $4. The only place I saw it less than $4 in the whole country. Um, so uh, it appears to be flattening somewhat on um, economic news as opposed to war hysteria. Um, I talked a little bit about the nickel market last week, which was interesting that nickel key component into a lot of the future green technology. And you would think that um, nickel should be going up some, but it went ballistic last week. And apparently the source of that was a huge Chinese trading firm had had a big short position, which means they thought the price was going to go down. So the people who are helping to build our green infra energy infrastructure future believe that the price of a key component was going to go down, which tells you what they actually think about it. So they got caught in what's known as a short squeeze that uh, nearly wiped out a couple of big trading firms in China and potentially some U.S. banks. So the London Metals Exchange, which had never done that before, closed trading in nickel for a week. Interesting that they would do that for a Chinese firm. The Chinese arm is long and where it reaches. And they want to open trading again today. Uh, but that really roiled a lot of markets out there. Um, producer price index in the U.S., 10% year-over-year. Core inflation, 8.4% year-over-year. How all this stuff, what it matters in the U.S. response to the war in Ukraine, it, it fits in there somewhere. The whole portfolio of U.S. interests, humanitarian, military, great power, economic, it all fits together somehow. Um, and you hope that policy people are looking at all parts of this and not reacting solely to the images from TV. Let me, let me just toss out a couple things. Uh, NATO is considering convening an extraordinary meeting of national heads of state sometime late next week in Brussels. Uh, such a move raises the prospect of potential military intervention or further escalation, according to the writer of the conflict. An extraordinary meeting of NATO defense ministers will be held tomorrow. Um, <clears throat> the U.S. believes that the airstrike at that Ukrainian training facility in western Ukraine, which killed 35 was launched by uh, cruise missiles fired from Russian planes inside of Russian airspace. So that's kind of an interesting little tidbit. Um, U.S. believes that Russia has now committed all of its ground forces that amassed on the border prior to the invasion. And, uh, and that's it. Um, hey, can, can we just talk about that? So... NATO defense ministers this week, potentially NATO heads of state next week. And the writer interprets that as maybe we're going to do military action. That's what the I mean, writer, that's, that's what the writer interpreted. 
Yeah, and the writers got his head completely up his ass. Well, let let me let's because I, I want to talk about that. Much discussion about the whole um, the F sixteen thing, right? And uh, walking this line up to a nuclear conflict with a guy who you know owns quite a few of them and that doesn't appear to shy away from inflicting damage. So I'm curious, um, let's talk about that. What role do does Russian economic or Russian nuclear weapons play in the calculus of the free world relative to the actions to take? Um, and, and we'll quite rightly point it out, if the Poles wanted to give their F-16s to Ukraine, they could have done that. Right. Um, so, um, so I, I'm curious what in, in the calculus of NATO response, understanding the real politic of um, Ukraine is a non member. The United States has virtually no interest, national interest in this fight. Right. And now we're watching it every day on TV and it stirs up all the emotions of, and, and let me tell you what popped into my mind yesterday as I was doing my, my gardening. Right? I have a garden that's worthy of an Italian, just so you know, not worthy of an Irishman, but it's worthy of an Italian. But anyway, that aside, <laughs> um, this is what got us involved in Somalia. We, we had no business going to Somalia. There was no American national interest. It was a humanitarian event based on the videotape that continued to bombard the American people. And President Bush sent, you know, sent American forces there. Um, right. And so, I mean, this whole gut-wrenching thing that you watch every day, right, from a pregnant woman being carried out on a stretcher who ultimately dies along with her baby, um, you know, according to the news. And so, so this whole... Um, and I'll just, I'll just circle the F-16, right? Uh, the, 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 the nuclear piece, right? And then, um, call it NATO action, uh, or U.S. action and policy to this. How does that thing work? Because you'll, you see the spectrum of, um, our hands are tied because of the nukes to uh, call bullshit on it. You know, our nukes are better than their nukes and therefore he won't shoot the first one. Mm -hmm. And yeah. So anyway, I'm just curious. uh, uh, Go ahead, Timmy. I mean, what are your thoughts in terms of what ought to be um, the position? What would your position be if you were POTUS? Would you, because again, if you miscalculate that motherfucker and he and he smokes the city of a quarter million people, the casualty rates that were that we were watching on TV are, are ridiculous. I mean, they're minuscule. So that dance is an important dance relative to, you know, in this case, what we would what, you know, tactical nuclear weapons. So go ahead, Tim. Yeah, I just want to make one correction on a Poland thing. The Poles were going to give up their SU-29s. And then gratefully accept F-16s in exchange. I think that's called a plane upgrade for free. And uh, that was what their proposition was, not F-16s to F-16s. So that was pretty easy to, to sniff out. Where, where I POTUS, my, my entire attention would be focused on establishing 
um, um, the status of um, pre-antebellum. In other words, to get everybody back to where they were in order to try to work out some type of a diplomatic solution in order not to expand this thing outside of, uh, outside of the Ukrainian country, which is going to be harder to do as time wears on. That would be my sole focus. The, the, Russian, the Russians having the nukes, you know, there's two schools of thought. One is, is that these are so powerful, nobody can use them, and therefore they're worthless, so why even bother having them? That was a popular school of thought for pretty much all our adult lives. People have said, yeah, you get it, you, you spend all this money, you get a nuke, you'll never be able to use it, because if you use it, it's the end of the world. Okay, and then there's the other school of thought, which is, hey, I might just uh, throw a temper tantrum and, and light off one of these things because I don't believe anybody has the wherewithal or the guts or the willingness to respond in kind or anything close to in kind. That's what, what you're worried about, Mac, and I think what most of us are worried about right now. And to be perfectly honest, if if you're sitting in Pontus's position, you've got to have a strategic goal that you're hammering towards not allowing these things to influence your calculation so much okay he's got nukes i've got that he's got a, a gigantic military i got that there's a lot of things that he's that that the Biden administration has got to put in their calculations but in my experience and i think the experience of history is if you stay with a strategic imperative and a vision that you don't deviate from that is the best way through this forest of 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 uh, of of fault, half truth and lies, because you don't know what Putin is going to do. We don't know that we're dealing with a rational actor to begin with. So um, that's what I think is the only reasonable course for for the administration. I'm just not so sure that uh, that's the course that they're on, because it's quite frankly difficult to determine at times what 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 exactly their strategic well, interest is. I think Timmy makes a good point here because. Uh, you know, my friend Ken Kirkaby wrote a letter to the Wall Street Journal, basically talking about the uh, the phenomenon of being scared because another guy has nukes. I mean, of course you're scared. Of course you're you know you're cautious. But he used the example of uh, President Nixon, what what he did for Israel during the uh, the Yom Kippur War in 1973. He basically went against all his advisors. They said he he was treading on nuclear corns. You know that he if he uh, if he if he helped Israel the way he did, the dramatic way he did, even when he's under the gun for Watergate, as far as tanks and aircraft and so forth, that basically saved Israel, and in a, in a, in a lot of ways saved you know um, what little democracy there is in the Middle East, and Nixon did that, which was a courageous thing on his part. Um, so the uh, you know we used to talk about back when in our in our Wehrmacht penis envy days, we used to talk about taking the long breath. And I, I think what needs to happen is uh, the free world, as we call it, NATO, you know, the United States needs to look at what are our interests and what can we not allow? Because, you know, in the long run, it'll be uh, it'll it'll end up causing more problem that that stops right now. And given in to every little thing that Putin does and being so worried about hurting his feelings and, uh, you know, and, and uh, doing things that may offend are going to lead to problems for us. As a matter of fact, I would say. What's happened already is uh, because of the Ukraine thing, there's been an, almost like another axis. Like you, know, you had the Germans, the Italians, and the Japanese, whose interests a lot of times didn't really coincide, and they didn't really coordinate that good, um, thank God. But now you, you see this axis of, you know, between China, Russia, and Iran, to the point where Iran actually launched 
threatened uh, our consulate in Erbil, you know, day before yesterday. So, you know, th that's another thing that I think is a manifestation of uh, of not responding in accordance with your nation's best interests, i.e. being a little bit over timid. Okay. I, okay. So let, I? let's talk about that. So let's talk about the example that Kirk uses. 1971? 73. When did Nixon resign? 74. August. August of 74. Okay. 73, Nixon, Israel, and the weapons that, that he sent there. Do you think that that proxy event is anything, is, is, is a good example relative to what we're talking about today? Because, because Putin is in a situation, if he loses, he's fucking dead man walking. Okay, so so Will and Will and I talked about this a little bit yesterday. Will, yeah, I don't I don't think it's remotely close to the same. And while his advisors may have been, no, we can't do this; it'll lead to the brink of nuclear war. There were no Russians. There might have been a few Russians in the Egyptian Air Force, but nobody knew that. No one was admitting it at the time. The idea of feeding our proxy while they feed their proxy, I don't think gets us there. Yeah, but Will, I don't want to interrupt Will, but yeah. the, the the Soviets were in a huge way. They basically supplanted our influence in Egypt, and that's what led to that attack Absolutely. across the but Suez the, Canal. So they the were involved, you know, the, deeply involved. They were involved with their proxy. The difference being here is... Um, right. I'm not saying this necessarily, you know, conflates to us and Ukraine as much as it does us and NATO. Like, we... If you heard just recently, is um, you know uh, the, the president of Ukraine is saying, you know, I could go with being neutral. I don't need to be in NATO. He's saying things that uh, you know he's basically putting things out there that make sense because. Uh, but we already are constrained to honor our alliance with NATO countries that exist. I'm talking Poland, and even more compellingly, those uh, those countries that are on the uh, the rim of the Baltic there, yeah. Latvia, Lithuania, and uh, and Estonia, because I, that already again, yeah, this is different though. We don't need well, yeah, to fight nothing Ukraine. To no, back we don't. Up NATO. I know. We. I'm not saying that. I'm saying we just need to. You know, uh, maybe we what we do is we replace in kind everything that they've put in so far, and even if they haven't put in, replace it, 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 replace as if they did. So that the Russians see that, hey, look, you know, you're having a fight in Ukraine. We're helping them with a little bit of material. You know, others are helping a little bit more with sending people in there and stuff, volunteers. But uh, what we're really serious about is the rest of the enchilada. And if you start fucking shooting missiles into Poland, you know, you're going to get some you're going to have funerals on your family plan, too. Yeah, because we got to shoot too. missiles. They didn't shoot missiles into Poland. Not yet. No, that's no, what I mean. The whole point is the whole point is to to beef them up now so that they know that so that you know they won't decide to go there. Because right now he's getting closer and closer to that border doing stuff. Now you don't you don't know how much of that is accurate, you know, and you don't know if that's what he really means. You know, but uh, and, and there hasn't been any ground unit, you know, uh, activity in the western part of Ukraine that we can see. So, you know, we're not there yet, but the whole problem, I think, with this was we didn't do anything to the Russians with, and as far as their buildup on the border with Ukraine until after he had moved. That's when they did the, the sanctions should have been done before that. Tell them, no, hey, look, we know what you're planning and we don't like it. 
well, basically, sanctions, you know, the sanctions should have been done after Crimea. Yeah. Right. Hold on. I, I want to go back to. I don't. I agree with Will. I don't think the situation is 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 a great comparison. And then to say, you know, Nixon did this, and then say therefore this, I think it's a logical leap. Okay. Because I just I I think that the the situations are different enough that I I don't see that as a as a I don't see it as 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 an appropriate. Uh, I, I don't see it as the same situation that Putin find akin to the same situation Putin finds him in, himself in today. I also don't see the World War II comparison. Well, they said, well, you know, Hitler went to Austria and we didn't do anything, and Hitler went to Czechoslovakia and we didn't do anything, and finally we went to Poland. Well, the British had a treaty with Poland, item one, i.e. like our treaty with NATO. Item two, Hitler pretty clearly told everyone what he was going to do, and then he started doing it. I haven't seen the documentation where Putin has said, I am taking back all of Eastern Europe like the Soviet Union. So I don't see this as the same sort uh, of analogy that we need to stop him in Ukraine before he stops us, before he comes here. Item three, look, Ukraine, while the individual Ukrainian, I'm sure, is a wonderful person, the country is a corrupt kleptocracy just like those other places. It absolutely is. And so the idea that we've turned Zelensky into George Washington is ridiculous. That government was horrible. It was only, it only looks good because it's next to a more horrible government and leader in Russia. Um, okay, let me, let me, but let me, br- let me bring this back. I, so what, again, what I want to get to is nuclear weapon consideration NATO slash U.S. interest, right, and and the F-16 thing or or fill in the blank, dancing up to the edge, supplying weapons and whatnot. How much does his nuclear arsenal impact your calculus? For me personally, it absolutely impacts. Uh, We've got treaty obligations in NATO that we should be very clear. That's a red line. Yeah. That's what I was saying. That's an absolute red line. Um, and do I think that there's a current situation in the current conflict, the way it's constructed, where nuclear weapons are coming to fore? No. <clears throat> but I think that we have, if we have a direct conflict, NATO or U.S. with Russia, it, it better be in our calculus right? Offensive and defensive nuclear weapons. That's what the whole fucking alliance is about. And so um, the idea that you can get into some micro conventional where there's genuine force on force, NATO versus Russia, U.S. versus Russia, and not be concerned about nuclear weapons, you're a fucking idiot. Well, yeah, Um, that's right. There was no no force on force in the Yom Kippur War between the United States and Russia or the United States and anybody. Right. It was just supplying and, people who are under pressure. That's all. And and I would say flip flip the board and think of what Russian propaganda is. Russian propaganda is that NATO is an aggressive expanding alliance. Right. NATO went to Afghanistan to take that country <laughs> over. Thank now you, NATO General coming, Jones. Yeah. Yeah. Now NATO is coming to Ukraine. They've already taken over the those poor Baltic states where all those ethnic Russians live. 
you know that there's ethnic Russians in Poland. You know, I mean, Russian propaganda, yeah. right? But we're mm-hmm. fulfilling his propaganda. Show yeah, the tourists I, from doing anything. Right. But think about that other side of it. NATO has been for its entire existence has publicized itself as a defensive alliance. There's nothing in the charter that talks about uh, something happens outside the alliance. We are forced by treaty to do something. Right. And there's nothing in there that talks about offensive war outside the alliance. Well, you're uh, right. And so, I think one of the reasons we failed in Afghanistan is because we let NATO in, get involved with that stuff. But it's none of their business. And the, it's just uh, beyond that. It just, yeah. that's, that is uh, the Russian talking point. And if we go back to what we were talking how, about three weeks ago with this, yeah. we were saying that Ukraine is an internal Russian politics thing that's driving it. And there we go. We are now making war on the Russian people, economic war, and look at NATO. NATO's coming into Ukraine. And, you know, to make your point in a different way, um, look back to before this thing happened. What was Ukraine saying? I mean, while, you know, uh, Putin's denying that he's got designs on the the Ukraine, um, you know, the president of Ukraine is saying, hey, everybody calm down. There's no threat here. You know, he wasn't, he didn't seem to be, he wanted to, Portray, you know, put forth the, you know, the impression that uh, he wasn't worried about uh, Russia. It was a shock then, you know, when when this uh, when this went down. And as far as them, uh, you know, the, uh, the the Ukrainians being shitty people or whatever, you know, I mean, I mean, uh, or, or put, let me put it another way: the Russian propaganda, it, it they didn't really do a very good job with this. Saying there's neo Nazis, you know, trying to push that. Everybody kind of nobody takes that seriously. I mean, if they're talking for Russian consumption, apparently there's dissension within Russia. I yeah. mean, it was on the news I, the I didn't night, say right? the Ukrainians were shitty people. I said they got a shitty government. Well, that's what I mean. All right. Yeah. The, yeah. I. So as considering this, and, and, and Will and I were chatting yesterday about the, the similarities and differences between Nixon's actions, um, I... I if I don't see how, as as a policymaker, you don't, and you've seen people saying that you know we should do this and 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 you know and we should be you know the the um, the no fly zone, right? I mean, yeah. you, you um, see that, and and you think, yeah, and some of these are are you know are senators and congressmen and you know people that have and you're thinking uh-huh. do you want to walk up to the edge of that and do you completely discount that he would launch a you know a nuclear weapon and if you if you take this thing and you say okay look right blow the smoke out of the room and just look at the map right right and well, and what you see is the russian military being fought to a pretty much a st- 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 stalemate with a few exceptions Right over the course of yeah. two weeks by the Ukrainian military. Okay, so let's just say that is what it is. It's a stalemate. Okay, now it's not going to get worse in 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 the future. It's not going to get better in the future, in my opinion. It's going to get worse for him. And as as NATO arms flow into, and again, we're talking about stingers. We're talking about anti drone weapons. Now we're talking about um, uh, we're talking about the javelins and more of it. You know, in this 
in Will and, and, Will, Will and Jeff's redoubt, right. right, along the border. That is all legitimate, right, weapons sales and whatnot. And so, to me, the calculus of this, if you can simply fairy dust that fucker out of the room, I, to me, that's incredibly uh, irresponsible. Or you could or, or say, hey, he just won't do it. Okay, are you real, willing to bet a quarter million lives well, on then, it? If, 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 well, then you could say that about any issue. Yeah, well, again, but any issue it, is not nukes, Jeff. Yeah, no, yeah, this guy has nukes. Any international issue, you say, I'm just, we're going to do whatever Russia says because they might use their nukes. No, 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 no. That's well, what's what, the difference? That's, not what that's the reefer madness ar- ar- I'm not argument. Saying that's like what you said. marijuana I'm not equals saying that's heroin. What you said. No, no, it isn't. I'm just saying. The uh, and as far as let me ask you something. As a guy with a little bit of experience in politics Uh-oh. and a savvy dude who watches the news, <laughs> oh, here let me you ask go. You, how many you know of those, coming next. How many of those people? How many of those people that you you know that were saying all this stuff that you know we should do a no fly zone, which incidentally was not part of the. Uh, the Yom Kippur War, a no-fly zone enforced by us. But let's just say those people who are saying that, how many of them really believe that and they're just betting on the fact they know the president won't do it? In other words, it's just all sound and fury signifying nothing, as William Faulkner would say. Right? You know what I'm saying? In other words, they know that they don't really mean that, Mac. They're just saying it because they know it can't happen. I know, but I'm, what I'm trying to do is, I, and what you're saying is that's a theater of the absurd, right? In, yes, in the midst yes. of all of this, they're advancing their own personal agenda. And right, and right. so what, I, what I'm trying to do is talk about, okay, we see this stuff relative to a, a policy that's in American interest, right? Mm-hmm. Um, once we blow the smoke out of the room, where are the left and right lateral limits? And what is, you know, what, what do we think? Um, what do we think? And so I, I I acknowledge what you're saying to be true, but I I backhand those fucking shit bags and say I I'm not, I don't really care what they say. What matters to me uh-huh. is what and and let me tell you what I think is is really important. One of the things we've seen that's surpri- been surprising is uh, the near unanim unanimity of unanimity yeah of, of response. Unanimity. Of response, a lot of a lot of vowels in there, or consonants. <laughs> I have to look at the vertical diagram of it to figure out which is more prevalent in it. But the uh, the economic response, which makes the economic trump the nuclear. So okay, so we have to restrain ourselves in NATO, but as Western democracies with hugely powerful uh, economies. We'll, we will destroy your nation as we will destroy as we destroyed Russia. I think that is an emerging thing because you know who that weapon gets pointed at next? The fucking Chinese. China. Exactly. And so that is and and that is a weapon, right? Uh, and again, why did Iran launch that missile? Because they're getting close. They think they're getting close to an agreement that lifts sanctions. Yada yada fucking yada. And so they launch a noisemaker. We know they can hit anything they want to. And they shoot one into the dirt, you know. And so what is the purpose of that? They want the sanctions gone. So to me, one of the, you know, destroying the Russian economy is hugely important in this conflict. Again, and that has to be our equivalent of a Scud missile going into nowhere. All right. This is an example to you, China, right, that you can have all the nukes you fucking want. We don't need to shoot one, right? We can, we can. I don't know what word you would use to, to, to talk about this, but we will destroy you economically. 
And if you need to a case example, look at Russia, right? So mm-hmm. anyway, go ahead. Can, yeah, can, I, can I back up to one point that you guys are gliding over that I want to make again? And you just talked about the red line being attacked in a NATO country and whatnot. If some kind of attack boils across the border into Poland, who benefits? Who benefits from that? And I will answer my own question. Ukraine benefits. And that's one of the things that were I in the White House or up, up in the tank somewhere, I'd be specifying exactly how I react to something that looks a little dodgy coming across that border. Because that's that has been my fear since this thing started is we get sucked into it, not because Russia is stupid, but because we're stupid and we allow ourselves to be manipulated into it. And I say that the Ukraine's doing it out of respect to the country. That that would be some that would be a move I would uh, I, I could see and I could appreciate. But uh, not as an American, I wouldn't. Are you saying that you might there might be an attack like a false flag attack from you? Exactly. Why? Why? To- why? Why? Why wouldn't they? What what have they got to lose? Every fucking thing. That's what I would be thinking about were I them. I just am putting it out there because I don't like this hair trigger we're sitting on about uh, that that could allow us to be victimized by a false flag attack. You know what I'm saying? I mean, I, I would think it would need to be like armored columns crossing the border with no shit Russians at the head of them. That's, that's something worth responding to. Artillery shells in a raid that kills some border policemen? Fuck no, man. Those I, things never, they never fool anybody, though. They, they, it didn't yeah, work when the Nazis like, did it to the poll. I'm not saying did. it's going to fool anybody. I'm not saying it's going to fool you anybody. You just said the, just the whole assumption for your course of action is that somebody got fooled. No, I'm, oh, okay. Well, no, no, you're right. You're right. I, it does. Nobody gets fooled with those things in retrospect. I'm just saying, I think we could be fooled. How about that? I'll try another tact. <laughs> Yeah, because I'm clearly, I'm clearly worried about that. That was, that was, that was awful. That was an, that's, that was an awful refuge that you just took. Yeah, I know. I was trying to, God damn it. I I see. I agree with everything Jeff said. See, Jeff and I just actually agreed. That's like the second time in all Marine radio history that's happened. No, I agree with everything Jeff says, even when it's like exactly opposite to the point I'm making. That was, (laughs) that wasn't worth that. Just so you know, that's intellectually pathetic, Tim. (laughs) That you would oh, let yeah. your personal relationship affect your intellectual uh, positions that that deep. But ha- half the yeah. time when I'm asking you something, I'm really just asking you something, like the question about, you know, these guys saying we got to just do a no-fly zone and fucking, you know, the guy from uh, South Carolina there who's got such big balls was a lawyer in the Air Force, you know, the uh, you Lindsay, know, Lindsay, that, Lindsay Graham, yeah, Lindsay Graham, right? You know, Lindsay uh, the assassin Graham. Yeah, yeah, like he's a badass, man. But uh, you know, so I'm, I'm genuinely. Sometimes I ask you shit to get under your skin. But oh, so usually, you, I just you're being don't like, know shit. You're being like Socrates. I would never say that. <laughs> <laughs> so okay, you're being like. So- I'm like the guy who made him drink the poison. Hey, you're look, you're man, being it's not like my idea, but you got to drink this shit. You're being like so- <laughs> Socrates. Socrates, yeah. <laughs> the uh, I'm more like- who's this? Who's this Socrates guy, and why is he such a big deal? Don't worry about yeah. it. No, again, I just think the calculus when you watch, like Lindsey Graham. I, I again, I, I, I keep the news on mute and just keep the video on in case something really big explodes. Um, and uh, I'm watching like the scroller and shit about things he's saying, and I'm like. Are you fucking kidding me? Like, when did you become this 
you know, this hawk from hell, you know, and we should do this and we should do that. And I just, again, I think the calculus with nuclear weapons in this case on the doorstep of Russia with Putin all in in the Ukraine, in Ukraine, I, I mean, I think if you if you it's don't like, calculate man. that, you're that's reckless with the lives of a lot of people. Mac, it's like Lindsey Graham. It's like a Christmas Carol. He's Ebenezer Scrooge, and the ghost <laughs> of John McCain comes shaking chains at him, saying, "Get involved in this stupid conflict we have no interest in." That's what I would do. And he, and he, you know, it's like it's like uh, you know Jonathan Marley shaking his chains at uh, Ebenezer Scrooge, and Lindsey Graham is Scrooge. The um, hey, all right. Any other any other points about? the calculus relative to nuclear weapons, because again, I just, um, I love the way people fairy dusted out of the, the equation in this incidence. Uh, I, I think you, you know, again, I think, well, you know, we talk about that a lot. We, we talk about the nukes a lot. And that, and so I started looking, looking up the Russian nukes and, you know, it makes you remember things that we used to talk about when there still was a Soviet union. You remember they had these, man pad uh man portable nukes that they're going to walk into the fold the gap and basically do like a version of operation cobra where they blow a huge gap in the u.s uh defenses and then their their armored forces come in in other words they they had like one or two kiloton um uh, nukes that they were planning to use in a tactical you know in a tactical manner not in a strategic manner where they nuke a whole city and so if that's the case um you know that that bears some some serious consideration. If it's the case about them shooting nukes at our cities and us shooting back, I don't think that's as much of a danger as their perception that there can be limited use of nuclear weapons. I agree. That is something I, I, we got to worry about. I agree. Yeah, with that. that's, I, I agree that's with that. the concern. Yeah. Yeah, and so that is something we should be looking at countering, not just kowtowing to. And I'm not saying anybody here is kowtowing. I'm just saying. You got to let them know that, hey, look, motherfucker, we respect that capability, but we don't respect you if you're going to make that threat. We got our own ways of fucking with people. And one of them is the thing that you brought up, Mac, the economic thing. That might be a hard cudgel to swing, though, because I don't know if, if we have the skill to marshal our economic uh, forces in, in an effective enough way, in a rapid enough way. You know well, I mean? I'll tell you what. I mean, this has been the, the economically the most unprecedented thing i've ever seen all these all these companies yeah. that you didn't actually expect and again i think uh i think will made this point last week and that is this it's easy to do with russia okay it's easy to <laughs> shit on russia but again i think that we should use russia as like as one of those big hulks out on r7 you're gonna be our example sorry old mr amtrak but we're gonna fucking pound the shit out of you as a lesson to iran as a lesson to north korea as a lesson to China, that this is yeah, our this is our weapon of choice. Of interest, though, <clears throat> the the economic thing, item one, it makes us feel really good. All right. Item two, it makes headlines. All right. And is painful. Uh, Fidel Castro outlasted it. Yeah. The North Korean regime has outlasted it. Uh, the economic thing. Well, and again, Will, that's good. that's fine. If you want to be North Korea or you want to be Cuba, right? right? That's right. that's so the deal. Russia, so we cannot, right? Understanding its, it's limits, not, yes. Yeah. yeah. And to that not point. It's going to change the tactical thing. And China's a completely different nut. They're holding three 
trillion dollars in T-bills right now. They, uh, you know, if we put full embargo on China, um, that means that all the medicine that's in the supply chain now is all the medicine that there is. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's it's very different. And I no, get no, no. It. and I agree with you. And I'm not talking full did. embargo. Right. I'm just what right. I'm talking We're, is showing this as a weapon. Right. Right. But we should be. And that's right. Economic peace with China is a part of what we really should be doing strategically uh, around the world about this. And I would say it's more about getting people to understand and a bandwagon on our side in regards yeah. to the Chinese, as opposed to using this as a direct um, threat to China, because we are, you know, we're in the mutually assured economic destruction zone with China. Mm -hmm. um, they need us and we need them. Um, right, so, but I think that, again, I think that what this whole conflict points out um, is, I mean, yesterday, the, I think the, the, ener the energy minister of Germany said, we are looking at leases, re-looking at leases in the North Sea. We are re-looking yeah. at, you know. He's full of shit. Right? Yeah. And like, all that you can't get it through his government. He can't get it through his own government. That just might be for show, like you were saying, Mac. Well, we'll see. But, you know, we'll they, see. but at least got, that discussion, I mean, you have the energy minister of that nation at least even now well you can dismiss it based on your understanding of german politics which is i think as astute as your understanding of density of teslas between fucking new york and fucking missouri or it's kansas an, it's Wherever anecdotal the fuck you live. it's anecdotal exactly it's <laughs> anecdotal so well to your point mac to your point mac it's harder to hit that Hulk on third base than it looks. <laughs> as, <laughs> we, we hey, as we witnessed many times, yeah. right? As we witnessed. But, I, but again, the, the demonstration of the economic power of, of the G7, I think, is significant. Now, again, you, you don't want to ever have to use that weapon. You hope that it never comes to that. But I think the lessons coming out of this for modifications to our economic relationship with China and the West modification to its it, how it views China, it's it's how how it gets precious metals, how it gets um, uh, medicines, and all these other key components, given their enabling of of Russia, and that's why it's so important, right? That Ru that China gets welded to Russia in all of this, and again, it might cost the American people. You might have to pay instead of two dollars and ninety nine cents for your soccer ball. You might have to pay four ninety nine for your soccer ball at Walmart or Target, okay? But that is the price that we are going to pay as a nation to be more secure. And I think that's the debate on the back side of this that is truly in the American interest and makes us more um, secure as a nation. And I, but again, this whole again link it back to the calculus of, of nukes here, right? And I think that's why the economic piece is so fucking huge. And, and, and yeah, that's bringing Mac, Russia to its knees. You're ignoring, you know, the lesson that we learn over and over and that our government is in completely inept. I don't want to talk about and, our government. All right. I just want to talk no, about. No, but it's, it's important when you say we need to be able to make the sacrifices, the American people. Well, I got to tell you, it ain't a straight line between that sacrifice and changing the relationship with China. It's a long, convoluted, dotted line right. that 
Um, I know, but I don't want to talk about that because that's just that's just going to make me unhappy. What I want to talk right. about is the world of fantasy, in that this is what we sh- <laughs> this is what we should be doing. And then what the As Jeff sh- said, you are a politician. What, what the schmuck, what the schmucks that we elect do with it is a completely other ulcer producing fucking anger, right? PTSD fucking enabling event, which I don't really want to go into right now. So, but well, I hear you. As you you're the Fuhrer of the podcast. Thank you. You told Jeffrey. us. You told us where not to go, and I've been trying my ass off not to. I know, go there. and we're not going to. But you're all over it, though, man. No, no, I'm. I'm staying away from Fuhrer. that. I'm. I'm you staying in the world of. <laughs> I'm staying in the world of utopia. <laughs> I don't want to talk about them because I don't give you, a shit who's running Washington D.C. They'll both fuck it up. And what's driving it like- is is the inertia from Wall Street that is desperate to make that money. Right to fund their profits so they can make fucking higher salaries and sell the nation out to fucking you know to the yeah. Chinese interest, and well, and it doesn't okay, matter. Now you're acting. Now you're talking more like a leader. Now you're talking more like Joy Behar, the, that we oh the, the God, guy, who, the leader of the podcast. <laughs> hey, do you want to talk about dead people and kind of get off this horrible topic? No, because I found something interesting. No, ready? No. All right, all right. I'll as, leave it. I'll leave it there. As the leader. Of the podcast, the of no, the podcast no, I don't want to talk about dead people. Okay, <laughs> in the next twenty-four hours, what are you looking for, Tim? More dead people in the Ukraine, but uh, in, in all seriousness, um, I'm, I'm, I am not expecting to see a damn thing in the next twenty-four hours. I'll be interested to see how this address to Congress goes. Hopefully, hopefully, it will be not too cringeworthy, and. Um, uh, my my, uh, if I were a betting man, I'm betting on the Israelis to to try to work behind the scenes to 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 tamp some of this down. But um, yeah, I I don't think we'll see a whole lot of movement inside or outside of the Ukraine in the next 24. All right, Jeffrey. I can't get that fucking AV on third base out of my mind. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> man. Hold on, we have, hey, explain the, explain this to everybody. So range seven is laid out. And we used yeah. to refer to it like a baseball diamond. It was it was a ridge line or a series of ridge lines, and the yeah. major ridge line was like it was. And we as we looked at it from our observation post and where the bleachers it was were, to the where, west. yeah, it right, was like a west. it was like a V with the with the shoulders of the V nearer to you, and the and and the uh, the long yeah. point of the V far away from you. So we would refer to it as first base, second base, and third base. And so, and third base, the, the target was a big old fat P5, an old fashioned AV, and uh, it sat right there on the crest of this uh, this uh, you know ridge. And if you missed by three feet too long, you would never know where the round went. And if you were too short by about by ten meters, you wouldn't know either. Maybe you'd see smoke rise up after a while. So it was harder than hell to hit the thing because you couldn't. And we were always pushed to the lieutenants. You know, doing uh, you know, bracketing, one one round, you know, one round far, one round close, until you, you know, one round left, one round right, until you hit the fu- the target. But that was like, it made dickheads out of us, it made jerk offs <laughs> out of us because it didn't work there. You know? And uh, so, but anyway, that's that's what, and so it was a difficult thing, inadvertently, you know, put in there. And so when I think about something difficult, I think about trying to hit that. <laughs> Fucking thing, you know. Second base, but anyway, second base was much easier, and so was first oh, base. Yeah, yeah. I have to tell you, one time we were trying to do 
extend that LIFIRE mech attack from R7. So Mel and I got, uh, do you remember Edge? Um, he went to LAR, Reserve LAR company that was right there in Quantico. And we took two LAVs and there's like a, a unimproved road that went from R8 towards R7. And then it disappeared. It was me and Mel and Bob Solemn, that civilian dude. Right. And we ended up walking to R7 and it's like a jungle. And we 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 went too far. Hey, to the and left. just just for the and record, just for the record, if you think Putin's powerful in Russia, Bob Solemn in Quantico. Yeah, he was he was <laughs> he ubiquitous. Was, he was truly the Fuhrer. Well we came up we came up on the uh the other side of uh third base. Oh my god. It's like uh, Iwo Jima didn't have that much shit on it, man. You know, I mean, all the uh, unexploded ordnance, and and then Bob started to go down. I mean, he started not being able to make it up that ridge, and we didn't really know where we we're going until we get up, and and Mel goes, "Holy shit, we're at third base. Let's get the <laughs> let's get the fuck out of here." No and shit. And we walked down to our yeah, we walked down to our uh, seven proper. You know. Oh, no kidding. You know, I yeah. when I was a lieutenant, we took a second lieutenant with one five, we took the saw to Okinawa for the first time. And oh, so wow. yeah, so we're we're out doing a uh a shoot, uh, and it was my platoon doing it, and I think General Day or somebody came out to watch it. And I didn't really I wasn't gonna interact with him because we were crawling through the dirt and shit like that. And so we're out rehearsing during the week. And uh, you know, the the during the I don't know which which part of the year it is, but um, it was the spring, so it was pretty dry on Okinawa. And we start with our tracers a fire, and there's very strict rules for the impact area. Mm -hmm. So we we go into a check fire. EOD comes out. These two, you know, LDOs, right, get out, and they grab these shovel-looking things with a rubber um, uh, kind of uh, mat on the end of it, and they go. Out and this is a a, a two hundred three range, right? Two hundred three round. Oh, that's yeah, it's real sensitive. Real sensitive. Yeah, and so I'm I'm a second lieutenant, right? I don't know shit, so I'm standing there with my company commander, my fellow lieutenants, and I'm watching. And now they're going to go put out the fire, and I and I look at my company commander. And I said, "Is that a smart thing to do?" And he says, uh, "They must know what they're doing. I mean, they work here." So I'm standing there, and there's they start ta tamping out this fire. And all of a sudden, they hit a they hit a two hundred three round, and it detonates, and they both go down. And wow. my and my company commander says, "Mac, take your squad and and go out there, and we'll we'll run the medevac." And I said, "Yes, sir." I said, "I said mm -hmm. yes, sir." Like, what the fuck do you do? Right, you're walking out in the middle of an impact range, and yeah. everybody steps. You know, that's all I told my guys. Like. Follow me, step where I step as we get into the impact area. And we went out there, and then they landed a 46, right? And both these guys are fucked up. They got shrapnel all over the place, and we're, we're doing first aid. And, uh, yeah, that's... That's pretty neat, man. Did uh, did they? How bad were they? Did you, did you ever follow up? I, mean, I, never, saw, I, they... never, I never saw them again. Um, I, when I go by EOD, I'd look for him, but I never spent a whole lot of time there as a second mm -hmm. lieutenant. And but shrapnel to the face, shrapnel to uh, the, the upper torso, shrapnel in the legs. Um, but they were both, uh, I, I, I mean, non-life threatening injuries. But they were they were fucked up. And I was like, mm. and again, those moments when you're a second lieutenant. Hey, is this a smart thing to do? 
I don't know. They know what they're doing. Mm-hmm. Right. And so anyway, and then I think there was an investigation because we landed a 46 in the impact area to run. Oh, yeah, of course. Yeah. 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 I was going to. Wow. The and, guy goes, I'd rather not ride in that 46. I'd rather bleed to death. <laughs> no, and it, it should have been us dragging them out of the impact area. Right. But I didn't. Yeah. So we get there. And, and I'm on uh, I, my radio operator, Christian Oliver's with me. And I say, Ollie, you know, ask him what now? And if he had said, drag him to here, we would have dragged him there. Right. But it was, uh, yeah, it was interesting, similar experience, Jeffrey. Will mm-hmm. just looked at his watch. So he obviously has some place to go. Um, no, I got to go to the pool, man. I haven't done any PT in a week and a half. Whoa, whoa, oh, whoa. whoa. Jeffrey, what in the next 24 hours, anything on your horizon? Um, I think uh, that uh, there's going to be more civilian casualties in the Ukraine, kind of like what Timmy said, but also there'll be uh, there'll be some movement on the, uh, you know, uh, agreement thing. Although right now uh, it seems like Putin's uh, adamant that, you know, uh, the government's got to be replaced. And I think that's just not going to happen. Not yet, anyway. Got it. Well, next 24 hours? You know, I would like to see um, some credible reporting on Russian artillery. Yeah. If they've actually brought the artillery up and, you know, the rate of fire has increased, that's... I mean, that means that he's definitely all in, and it's bad news for civilians in those cities. Um, that is sort of a, if he's been leaning in there with mech armor forces without significant artillery, thinking that he was going to do this sort of coup de main and it was all going to go away, so why bother bringing all that shit forward? But if it's actually been brought forward in this quasi-lull or whatever happened last week, and it's starting to go to effect, that means... Um, we're definitely in for the long haul. I think that's what that means. So I just don't know where to get any of that kind of reporting, though. You know, that's mm-hmm. the thing. Right. Um, I, I, first of all, I think that the leaders of Poland and whatnot going to Kiev, I just, I applaud that. I think that's a ballsy move. Yeah. And we'll see if, I agree. We'll see if Vladimir Putin has a, uh, has a message for them while they're there. Um, but I, I, I think that's that's a, that's physical courage, right? Uh, as a leader of a state, so I, I applaud that. Um, and so, in the next twenty four hours, um, I continue to to again try to tune the white noise out and look for what is changing about the mosaic. And the answer over the course last of the course of the last week is not very much, which means that you're going to see the status quo for a while. I just saw a, a report that said uh, nearly 100% of the Ukrainian military, to include uh, reserves, has been mobilized, a force of over 200,000. Um, and so, anyway, um, so again, I'm looking for indicators that something's changing. And uh, I don't see very many of those indicators. Uh, the things that we talked about um, at the very start, he does not have to ask to go into the cities. What he will do is you can surround them. Now what? And we've seen now what? It is pummel the civilian population and military targets as you can identify them and uh, to the best you can, right? 
pummel them into submission. So we can we'll, we'll continue to watch that. But again, we know the history of the region. These cities do not surrender, and that is their history. That was their history in World War II, and they've grown up. They've grown up reading it. And so the question is, you know, will they continue to survive? And then, but again, so with all that overlaid on it, what what is changing? And it doesn't look like very much. So so stalemate, and then what becomes of that? So anyway, all right. So thank you very much, boys. I appreciate it. Yep. Right. Have a good day, Thank brother. You. Take care. All right. See you guys. See you. See you.